passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special All Out Post Show. I am John Pollock, and the Mystery Jokers joining us. Braden Harrington and no sympathy for the birthday boy, Davey Portman. It is a post-wrestling, up-next extravaganza. How is everybody doing tonight? Happy birthday, Davey. Belated birthday. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah. Hello. It, hello, hello, hello. It, is there more? Is that it? Uh, are there any more matches we got to watch? We, is, is the weekend yeah. over? Are we done? <laughs> There's some wrestling out there somewhere, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. Yes, wow. for many people listening to this, your, your wrestling began at around uh, 4 o'clock Eastern time, and it is midnight, so we are going to be getting into uh, plenty tonight. Uh, we will be kicking things off with the uh, the all-out portion of the day, and then we will have a discussion about Worlds Collide that happened uh, many, many hours ago. Um, but off the top, way I wanted uh, to throw it to you about our new uh, YouTube initiative that you that have is, spearheaded. So let's get yes. that out of the way. Okay, well, that that is correct. Of course, the Post Wrestling Cafe, which a lot of you guys have heard us talk about for the past uh, duration of our entire existence, uh, is something you're all very familiar with. Uh, pr- primarily, we've been operating off of Patreon.com, but now, especially for those people that are exclusively watching us or listening to us through YouTube, you can now join the Post Wrestling Cafe through YouTube, through YouTube memberships. So if you check out the uh, uh, video uh, on desktop, you'll see a little join button. I believe on Android, you'll also see the join button something's going on with ios where like on the youtube app you might not see it so uh, basically um get on the desktop hit the join button and you can get access to all of our bonus shows including last night's clash at the castle post show rewind a smackdown slash rampage rewind away everything we've got like uh, all the archives already dating back to like march i believe from today from this year so uh if you just sign up it's eight dollars a month uh, everything else stays the same for patrons. If you prefer to just get your uh, stuff through audio, you can continue to sign up through uh, patreon.com slash post wrestling. But for YouTube subscribers, you now have the option to join us through membership. So uh, thank you all for uh, whoever signed up so far. All right. Uh, so we will be uh, going over all the other things coming up this week and uh, and plugs at the end of the show. But guys, I, I am just going to be, I'm going to be the running back, okay? I'm just going to have the ball, and we're, ju- we're just going to force through and go through the, the many, many uh, yards that we have to cover on this show. So all out tonight, first of all, just kind of a, an overall uh, question, because uh, uh, I, I got scolded today for, for talking about, uh, apparently on our preview show, about, man, there's a lot of matches on, on this card ahead of time. I mean, that's 15 is a, is a large number. How did you feel going into this one, Davey, just in terms of uh, the layout of the show and kind of just your overall? all thoughts on on the build to the show and excitement level for AEW's uh, fourth of five pay-per-views this year? I mean, I think we're kind of used to this format now that uh, you sort of have an idea of a card a few weeks out and then it comes to that final Dynamite and Rampage and they just load it. This 
this isn't the first time we've seen it with the last few. Uh, but definitely a few head-scratching matches that I don't think were necessarily needed on this show, like uh, like the mixed tag for the third time in the space of 10 days and uh, the kind of trios match with FTR and Wardlow. I felt there were a few things that maybe padded out this show, which might have brought it down. But overall, I think the uh, the build for this main event has been pretty unorthodox, but I've, I've really been into it. And there's been a, enough intrigue in some other big feuds as well. So I was pretty excited for the pay-per-view. And how about you, Way, in terms of coming back? And you sort of just caught up on like a month of AEW over the past week. So a lot of this stuff the, of the buildup was pretty fresh for you. How did you feel, uh, just program-wise, your interest level the day of the show going into this card? I think it was generally as high as it usually is for like an AEW pay-per-view. You know, we only have like four or five of these a year, so they still feel very, very special. This one, though, I will say for me, like, I think the bloated nature of it, like, hit me a little bit more. And I don't know if it's because, like, we didn't have as much surprise to look forward to or as much novelty to look forward to as, like, the previous year. This year, I mean, it really was hinged on the main event. And uh, for me, at least the trios uh, championship match as well. But beyond that... um. I, I wasn't necessarily looking forward to a lot of the matches, um, like or at least not in total, totality. Um, and, and to me, it kind of diminished rather than, I think, you know, improved my excitement for the show. Yeah, I, I was looking forward to quite a lot on this show. It was more so the, the entirety of the day when you're stacking on Worlds Collide with it. But I'm going to say, Braden, the, uh, the, the, the best part of this was the 45-minute gap between Worlds Collide and All Out. I got to have dinner. I got to take a breath for a minute in between wrestling. That 45 minutes was glorious. I spent it trying to catch up watching Clash, so I watched <laughs> Matt Riddle and Seth Rollins. More wrestling. Of course. I'm really <laughs> exhausted. This felt like this was a, right as the main event. I was so excited for this main event, but right as the main event was starting, I did like a micro nap, and I went, oh, no, I haven't done that while watching wrestling in a while, so... I, I had to get up, get a glass of water, and just went. No, I'm, I'm hyped. I'm hyped. But wow, it felt like a, a lot of wrestling for for me yeah. today. For yeah, sure, this, this was the kind of uh, day where you you have to like do some training a, a ahead of time. As yeah. we're about to go, well, well we're going to see. I'm going to try and keep this one on, on the tracks. And this is coming from me and Way, who have done like two hour shows the last uh, two nights. So we, we will see how <laughs> this goes. Uh, let's get into all out. And uh, obviously, uh, big headline news is the. The return of MJF that we will get to, that was sort of a, a show-long storyline. But going back to Zero Hour, it was Excalibur and Tony Schiavone on the pre-show. And then we throw to RJ City, who is with Sammy Guevara and Ty Mello on the red carpet. And they're being interviewed by RJ, who just stands there awkwardly as they overhear a horn blasting. And they wonder who is interrupting their red carpet interview. And it's Ortiz and Ruby Soho on a cart. And we recreate the scene where Sammy is hit with this cart and goes flying. And that's sort of our our crash into our opening match, which is the AAA mixed tag team title match. And we've got... Ortiz, who has now shaved his head again, this voluntarily after the last one. I mean, he lost a match and was forced to go through this humiliating uh, act. Now he's just voluntarily get, giving it up. He he realizes it's a lot easier to just get rid of it and uh, and and not not grow it back because the grow the growing back period is it, not everyone is equipped to go through that that struggle of those couple of months to get it back. It's true. Shout out, shout out, bald men. Yes. I don't know what you guys are about, to be honest with you. 
So uh, Guevara uh, get gets cut uh, somewhere here. Also cool was that Ortiz and Ruby had like face paint on, and they noted how Ortiz was going for the like the, uh, Aja Kong's uh, like face paint, and then Ruby going with uh, Bull Nakano. So. Uh, the, the match is only about six minutes. They tried to cram a lot into this. And I think because of the chaotic nature and this being the first match this audience is seeing, they're, they're pretty into it. We see the GTH and Ty KO both get countered by the baby faces. Uh, Ruby was superplexed off the top onto the men on the floor. And it looked like Ruby, I don't know if she was uh, fully caught here. It looked uh, like not, not the funnest of rides, but uh, more, more to come in terms of... Uh, non-fun as uh anna j runs down we get a buckle bomb from ty to ruby and then ty hits the ty ko and you just see the camera as ty's going for the cover and you hear her say are you okay as ruby is just grabbing her nose from this ty ko she's pinned in 607 and then she gr- is just holding her nose as she is brought to the back and it was it was later reported that she did in fact suffer a broken nose so oh. not off to a uh, great start here uh for the show where um hopefully uh, i mean a broken nose is a, is a broken nose it's it sucks um but this one i i don't know what happened here it just looked like a you know rush rush through and unfortunately uh another injury yeah it looks scary yeah ruby had a couple of like scares beat up tonight well. yeah the 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 spot where she got like dropped on her head and then again like superplex to the outside or whatever and then that is just like wow that i hope she's okay that did look really nasty I will say, considering we've seen this match a couple of times recently, I thought it was quite a fun way to start the show, though, with the whole, like, car angle. That bump. He he just loves getting hit by stuff. When you compare these sort of zero hours to the original, like, first year of AEW pay-per-views, where we had, like, Michael Nakazawa against some gamer guy, like, these are so much more quality and definitely kind of are doing a good job of hyping this crowd up. And I think the audience, if you're watching this for free, are going to make you want to buy it way more than these pre-shows used to i feel like something that rampage should turn into is kind of like what sunday night heat was like okay every week there'll be a show that has some matches on it and story progression but when it's pay-per-view week it also is the like first hour like this i think that would that would work a lot better with like better than the format they have now but great when when you start off a show with someone getting hit by a car golf cart whatever it's it got me really hyped (laughs) It was a match that honestly I wasn't too excited to see added, and I felt like that sentiment was pretty much like you know uh, kind of across the board. But they they managed to do it so quickly. They kept it very fast paced. There was a lot of personality here, and they you know the car angle, yeah, like is enough to probably really suck anybody in. It was inoffensive, and I I thought ultimately you know was, was a decent part of the show. It, it felt like they took one of those like specialty gimmick matches that would get some time on dynamite like 15 minutes and we got to cram it into six and we're just going to do as much as we possibly can in those uh six minutes so that's that's what this opener was hook and angelo parker for the ftw championship and there is action bronson in the crowd and it was a little odd that his music is playing as he's standing there uh just just like taking it uh, all in here but i mean it's uh it's one thing to get uh Elliot Taylor to perform it's probably another to get Action Bronson to uh to perform for you but nonetheless uh that would not be all of Action Bronson um they note how Hook has only had 12 matches and the crowd is they're into Hook they're chanting for him Menard is great at ringside he's just like, where's the shooter where's the shooter and uh 
Parker is just, you know, getting up from Hook's suplexes and then goes for a brain buster. Hook, though, lands on his feet and applies the red rum and immediately taps out Parker in 357. The big spot is afterward as Menard attacks Hook from behind and this prompts Action Bronson to enter, tosses them off and then is challenging them to come back to the ring and Menard and Parker stand down to Action Bronson and Hook. So uh, either this was a, a cool spot for the pre-show or maybe we will see action Bronson down the road when uh when called upon that would be awesome uh I, I thought he looked great he looks jacked lately by the way I don't know if you know what he looked he used to look like he was a lot bigger but now he's like run it in Buffalo now, yo <laughs> please do yeah I look this guy's been a wrestling fan and dropping wrestling uh, hip-hop lines and bars for years so I love the fact that a someone's finally using one of his songs and now this like interaction I think this is pretty good uh, I know bringing hip hop and and rappers and stuff like that gets AW so many views on so many like websites and meme pages I, I that I follow. Like anytime they kind of do that crossover, it gets them uh, more eyes uh, on their product. But I thought maybe some cool. tie in at like Arthur Ashe. Like it doesn't have to be like something spectacular, yeah, like like a match, but just him him in the corner, him in in some form, just you know that gets some attention on on that show in New York. They could teach him to do a Canadian destroyer a bit. <laughs> that's the bar now bad bunny yeah. really ruined it for other celebrity cameos but i think you know what i think he could uh have a match he's he looks like he could do it yeah sh- sh- short match not a whole lot to it and may- maybe set something up for the future you get a little spot here with, with a celebrity of note pack and kip sabian for the all atlantic championship they mentioned this is kip sabian's first aew match in 522 days since his arcade anarchy match with Miro against Chuck Taylor and Orange Cassidy in March of 2021. That was his last AEW match. So uh, I, I don't know how these all Atlantic uh, championship rankings work, but they're, um, I guess, retroactive to uh, whatever you've done in your career. Uh, at this point, Taz joins Shivani and Excalibur and Kip Sabian is playing to the crowd, putting his arms up and then down and then up and then down. And the crowd just goes along being uh, being puppets here. And so Sabian is in control and things are going along. And then he starts arguing with his box that is over there by by the timekeeper's table. And this is a. When Sabian, he had rolled away from a black arrow attempt and he stares at the box and says something. And then Pac just drops him with his forearm off a counter and Pac just starts kicking him in the face, like stomping him over and over and over and over. And then he hits the black arrow and he pins him. And this to me was like the most anticlimactic finish that just came out. of He just stomped this guy in the head to the point you'd think he was dead if this was a, this was a movie scene. And then he hits the black arrow and, and he wins. I, I don't quite understand this Kip Sabian character. I think they tried to insinuate that at first he was smiling at the stomps but didn't really go with that. So I, I found this to just be an odd match that was, uh, that was laid out here with Pac retaining. It's one of those that um – I, I don't. This was one of those where um, I'm not exactly sure how much planning there was for the whole Kip Sabian, I think, um, character to begin with. You know, they they hardly really kind of drew any attention to the guy in, in the corner, and it's fine to do that if you're going to at least like make a big deal out of the return. This just felt like they were like you know building something up for like the better part of the year, only to extinguish it on a kickoff in what a few minutes time. Um, for you know Sabian himself though, like. You could tell he's trying a whole lot that's different. Like he, there were a few spots in this match that he was attempting that I don't think I've seen before. Um, like, uh, like holding his hand up like this. 
as a as a distraction before like um, he was head- teasing like the test of strength and then it was like a decoy to yeah like headbutt pack and i don't know how much of that necessarily got over but like he is a guy who's clearly trying out new ideas um i don't know what this leads into and i i i'm, I'm not that that excited to see the follow-up to be quite honest yeah. Afterwards, Shivani interviewed Pac on the stage and Orange Cassidy comes out and Pac just shakes his head. No, he is not interested in this direction. And Pac says, we've been here before. You're not a jo- jo- a wrestler. You're a joke and tells him to get to the back of the line. And then we sh- we cut to Kip Sabian, who is now yelling and arguing with the box. This felt like Al Snow um, to me with head. Yeah, it reminded me of Tom Hanks and Wilson in Castaway, but not quite on that level of dramatic acting. Uh, really weird. He even got like the logo of the box like on his gear and stuff, but it uh, doesn't really work for me. I do think it's a better look. Like I like the kind of hair's the nice. hair and stuff like that. It, he definitely stands out a bit more than I'd say he did in his kind of first run with AEW. But um, as Wayce had put it, you kind of extinguished this already. Like you could have had him maybe work on some of these things in matches building up to this thing, but uh, I've lost interest pretty much straight away with Kip. Maybe we are all in agreement that he he can be somewhat applauded for thinking outside of the box. Oh, dear. Uh, overlooked, <laughs> overlooked and over it. Yeah. Tomohiro Yishi versus Eddie Kingston is the next match, everybody. This was a rematch from Capital Collision back in May. Uh, Kingston is dedicating this match uh, to Tenru, and it's his first match since the Barbed Wire Everywhere match in July. So this was a very simple match. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall as they sat down today to decide, hey, what do you want to do? You're going to chop me. I'm going to chop you. And we are going to keep doing this over and over and over and over again. And this crowd is going to love it. Done. I'll see you out there. So that is what they did. The straps come down. They have this incredible chop battle, and it just escalates as the crowd is applauding all of this. They're chanting Eddie. Uh, they're losing their footing just from the, the the sheer punishment that they are delivering to one another. Co- Eddie Kingston resumes his chops, and Ishii's chest was so red. There were blood vessels that were possibly broken in his chest. They were aiming for Ishii to have the second nastiest-looking pectoral on a pay-per-view this year. And then uh, in the corner, Kingston drops him, more chops and forearms, and then finally he just plunges down to the mat, but Kingston fires up, machine gun chops in the corner, and he hits a DDT and a sliding D. Then they move on to the, the slap portion of the match and the crowd is loving this part Ishii comes off the ropes and he's supposed to be throwing and this just looked like the timing was all off here but Eddie Kingston was like right on top of this and he just starts selling his shoulder and they kind of play that part up moments later though he goes for this this like falling lariat that they you know tie in with with, with Baba that was obviously the move he was going for here. If you're looking for one, like, kind of slip up here, that that certainly uh, stood out here. But nonetheless, I, I like the improvisation of just going to the shoulder right away and working that into it as well. Um, it builds up here. Big lariat by Kingston. Ishii with his own lariat. And then the Urican out of nowhere leads to this massive near fall as they tease the flash knockout. More slaps. A second Urican headbutt by Ishii. And Kingston finishes him in, with responding uh, with the Northern Lights bomb in third. 13 minutes and 27 seconds. I, I enjoyed this uh, quite a lot. What about you guys? 
I think it was a match that certainly, you know, over delivered for a kickoff show. You know, this was one that I think many would have gladly loved to have seen on a pay-per-view. But I, I mean, you know, like we've seen with UFC pre prelims, sometimes you put uh, a very attractive match on, on the free portion just to send people home to uh, want to pay for it. And this absolutely did that. I mean, it was the exhaustive, hard-hitting fight I think you'd expect from the two. It's the type of match that this crowd will eat up um, pretty much 100% of the time. Yeah, 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 it was good. Exactly the kind of match I want from these two. Yeah. You know, and and you can do that with zero build with these. Like, mm. you know exactly what you're getting. It was was what it says on the tin. Like, I, is, I loved it. Yeah, I, I preferred it more than the, the New Japan one, the first one. And I liked the fact that I know the chops, it can get a little, like, overdone. But, I mean, Ishii's chest was really red. So I'm pretty sure you could watch these guys fight each other a, a bunch of times. I enjoy Ishii blowing off the sign of respect at the end. He's just like, nah, I'm, uh, I'm out of here. Yeah, I hope I hope we get to see him come back, though. Please come back. I mean, they're one apiece now. Like, mm-hmm. it would make sense at some point you do the the third match between them at at, at some point. So, yeah, I, I thought I thought this was really strong, especially for the the pre show. I would say if if you're going back and you're cherry picking from the um from the zero hour, this would be the match I I would recommend. I don't know if you have to really see the the other three unless you're really intrigued by um a man in his box. To see the man in the box. <laughs> On to the pay-per-view we go, and they start off, and it's Excalibur, Shivani, and Taz, and they would not bring Jim Ross out until the second half of the pay-per-view, making sure he was there in time for the acclaimed's entrance. No special entrance for him either. I mean, I don't know if that's um, different, but um, yeah, uh, kind of understated. Um, this I was a show that was, not, that was not... Uh, yeah. mo- that did not have a whole lot of room, uh, so mm-hmm. maybe that just uh, did get the the cut. The casino ladder match is our opener, and it would start with with two, and it started with uh, with Phoenix and Yuta, and would be followed by Rush, Andrade, Claudio Castagnoli, Dante Martin, Penta, and then the mysterious Joker. So in this one, they had about uh, fourteen minutes, and. They had some some clever ideas here, some that were uh, very scary, including this ladder structure that they they had the horizontal ladder coming off of the middle rope into the main ladder. And then Andrade is climbing the ladder and Claudio like tips it over. So it's in the shape of an X and he's just trying to like like farmer strength here to just like lift this thing up and tip Andrade. He finally tips over and goes to the floor. But this was. I would love to know who came up with this one. This was a, a, a unique one when it came to uh, ladder bumps to take. Uh, when Dante got involved, him and Phoenix were, were just going nuts here. Uh, Yuta came up and Dante did a springboard onto the other side. Dante was just flying all over the place. When Penta came down, he runs down the ramp, hitting a destroyer on the way down to Dante, and then a sling blade to Roosh. Everyone went nuts here. Then there was a destroyer to Andrade on the ladder that was set up uh, between the middle rope and the main ladder, uh, which looked just just brutal. And Phoenix comes off the top with a splash to Roosh through a table on the floor. The Joker sees all of these men in disguise come down, and they're followed by the main mystery man, who ends up climbing the ladder to take the poker chip and reveals himself to be Stokely Hathaway. And he's joined by uh, Morrissey, Ethan Page, Lee Moriarty, uh, the Gun Club, and... The main Joker then comes out to Sympathy for the Devil by the Rolling Stones. So you're assuming this is not Tony Nese that we are uh, 
licensing the Rolling Stones oh, for. Man. And I think that was everyone's uh, tip off. And this this main Joker is handed the chip and wins the match 14-11 and then goes to reveal himself but doesn't do it and gets booed heavily by the audience and makes his way to the back. And then uh, everybody was connecting the dots about utilizing uh, sympathy for the devil with the the punk promo, with MJF, um, even with tweets uh, that AEW had used in the past for MJF using the words sympathy for the devil. And I think everyone kind of knew what, what, what direction you were being led in and where this would go. But uh Braden, what did you think about the ladder match itself and and the ending to this, which was certainly a different way to do things with with your Joker concept? Yeah, I think the the Joker concept's a little weird. I think you could just switch it to a, a normal ladder match, and it, it maybe would help them because the, the it worked in this way with the finish. That was really creative. But usually, it's kind of weird when you have them fighting. Like they, if they do this, they should at least one time have the guy who comes in first like win it really early, and then. They can't even do the rest of the match because that's how that's how it's like you're telling me that no one's going to grab it in that time. So I, yeah. I do like the, it can be a little flawed that way, but mm-hmm. it really worked for this finish. Some of the stuff in it, like Penta coming in, hitting a, a destroyer and then another one on the ladder, which just made me scream out loud. And then the the X sculpture was really creative. It's, it looked like art. Um but I, I really liked the, the the whole Joker thing. It's something different. And then you kind of do it, – it starts – it's a good way to start the pay-per-view because the rest of the night, like, we, we had a few friends over. And it, like, gets people like, oh, is it MJF? Like, you discussed, John, like, the tweets. And then, like, oh, well, wait, remember he said this. And you kind of put it together that it, it is him. But it was kind of unique. I, I feel the, the Joker thing can work. And what I, what I do like is you don't have the whole – people sleeping on the outside for the whole match while other people are going at it. You inject something new as the match goes on. But I think they can be maybe a bit more creative with doing the teases before other people are coming in. And there was one sort of glaring thing for me when Roosh came out. Wheeler Yuta was at the top of the ladder and just stopped there. And Roosh is coming out. He's posing with his horns. He's taking his jacket off. And it's like, dude, he's going to grab the title. And Yuta just, oh, I better just stop so he can pose. Um, but the other thing with the MJF thing was uh, the parallels with Punk. When Punk, uh, like Kayfabe, left the company with the title and then came back, he came back to new music. That's when he had sort of in his contract for Cult of Personality. Right. To, so it was all these like little tip-offs. Like, okay, yeah, MJF's got his deal. He's now got bloody Rolling Stones playing him out and stuff. Um, I mean, that's he looked. The mask was pretty cool, actually. The devil mask. Yeah, and I mean, the Rollings coming out to the Stones. It's like a Mighty Scorsese movie. They should they should sell those masks. Mm. Yeah, if he's smart, that'll be something they sell. And uh, uh, acclaimed scissors. Yes. Yeah. We'll, scissors. We'll, yes. We'll get to the scissors. It was a very unique, um, I think, way to introduce a show long um, mystery. You know, um, this is obviously something they could have done on TV or even on the zero hour to get people to you know uh, want to stick around to to see the reveal. But instead, they saved it for the pay per view and. I don't think the ladder match was to me all that great, to be honest. Like looking at the roster that they had here, I was expecting probably like this to be a show stealer. And I felt it was not that at all. Like a lot of sloppy spots, a lot of awkward spots. There are production. There's like a certain level of production that I think is required um, to coordinate so many of these intricate spots that I just didn't really feel like this had any of that smoothness. So 
you know, we're not going to remember any of that, though, of course, because it was all really just a setup for the, the, the closing angle. Well, there, there's uh, there's definitely um, a negative when you, when you state that, and you're you're not wrong. The to me, like the most spectacular thing in the match was like the Penta Destroyer to the floor through the the ladder, and then the Phoenix Splash right right afterwards. Phoenix hitting the the splash through the table, and th- those are incredible spots that are going to be completely forgotten a- afterward. And you're seeing this like the, these ladder matches. It's like they're they're super dangerous, and the one thing, the positive is that you know you you do these dangerous things, and they get you over. They're like memorable spots, and I don't know. I think we're, we are past that now, where it's it's very little that is going to be remembered for. Like I always go back to that Sammy Guevara spot at Blood and Guts, and that was only uh, two months ago, and I, I don't think anyone's recalling the like. Kingston tossing him off the the top of the blood and guts, and that was a super spectacular spot that in another generation would be this this all time highlight reel clip. I think it's a lot harder now to create those kinds of spots that are going to be remembered beyond you know a forty eight hour period. The trios final ended up being the second match on the main show with Hangman Page, John Silver, and Alex Reynolds taking on the Young Bucks and. The man who was back to 100% after two and a half weeks, Kenny Omega. No tape. He's tanned. No compression shirt. This man has had just, uh, he's just come back to, to full health in time for the pay-per-view. Well, in commentary, the Callis did insinuate that it was all a ruse. So the two times you've seen him, I mean, it was all supposed to be acting. Um, I, I like the fact that like there was some like they were kind of thinking to tell that story on some level to uh, I guess I don't know make his TV appearances different from the pay-per-view appearances ultimately though I don't know if it had any effect on like the the match itself because I, I certainly don't think the dark order and ha- hang my page were you know taking their their opponents lightly heading into this it almost became sort of like a negligent or negligible part of the whole story that um I suppose it was just maybe more so an elaborate way to say, like, now you're getting pay-per-view Kenny instead of TV Kenny. Yeah, does he that's go, exactly does, how I got that. Does he go back to TV Kenny now? Does, <laughs> compression does he bring shirt the, back on? He puts a compression shirt on for Wednesdays and Fridays and pay-per-views. You get the real Kenny. He was maybe. looking good. Looked great. Yeah, uh, th- this match was it was spectacular. The crowd was so into Omega and Page whenever they got involved, and they had the two tag in pretty early. And I mean, so- some of the highlights of this, I-, I thought John Silver was fantastic in the in this match. This was you know a really a really significant match for John Silver and Alex Reynolds, uh, who even got like Alex Reynolds' chance at a certain point here. Uh, they did the crazy Silver Reynolds sequence ending with the jackknife cover by Reynolds onto Omega, and they were able to get this audience to bite on, on several near falls, uh, that being one of them. Uh, we saw Omega do the, the Terminator dive. There was a pendulum bomb onto Matt, and then Nick just flies off the top, breaking up the cover. Uh, Taz, I don't know how closely you were listening to the commentary, but Tony Schiavone at one point, uh, was, answering Taz and referred to him as Excalibur. Then it happened the second time. And then in this match, it was a third time that Shivani referred to Taz as Excalibur. And at this point, you could see Taz was like morphing out of AEW Dark Taz into, I'm kind of getting pissed here, but I'm not going to be an asshole to you, but don't do it again. And that part was amusing to me. So... Page and Omega then uh, drag the respective legal men to the corner so each can tag in again, and they go at it. The crowd's going nuts here. We see a Tiger Driver 98, and then uh, 
the buckshot is delivered to the back of Kenny Omega, and he then is uh, – sorry, this is when he looks down on the apron, and there is Matt Jackson. So they're, they're recreating that scene right before uh, Paige is going for the full version of the buckshot. But because of this delay, it leads to Nick hitting his own buckshot lariat to Hangman Page, and they follow with the BTE trigger. Reynolds makes the big save, and then we see Silver. He comes in, and he goes for a roll-up on Kenny Omega, getting a two-count. He makes a sign for Brody Lee, but gets caught with the B trigger, and then Kenny lifts him up for the one-winged angel, and John Silver counters the one-winged angel with a roll-up, and this crowd went absolutely nuts for this near. This near fall was so amazing. Good. Everyone bought that John Silver was going to catch Kenny Omega with the roll-up here, but he kicks out. There's a buckshot attempt, but Omega ducks, so Page hits Silver by mistake with the buckshot lariat, and Omega is able to pin Silver in 19 minutes and 51 seconds. And then afterwards, as they're walking up the stage, Kenny looks at the camera. He walks up to the camera and says, don't fucking move. And he addresses anyone in the back, try and beat that bitch. And that's how the match ended. I thought this match was just un- unbelievably great. This this trios tournament is is one of the great tournaments in wrestling history. In terms of wow. match quality, it is it is right up there to me. Like it's it you'll find some G1s that numbers wise, you will find like a deeper list of matches, but of this tournament that had uh what seven matches that that we got of the the eight teams? I mean, this was just a, an unbelievable tournament. When you actually go back and look at all these trios uh, matches and an unbelievable final, I thought this was excellent. Yeah, would you give this five espresso? Five, five espresso is not the uh, that is not the ranking system at all. But again, a, a loyal listener, Braden Harrington. Um, his his listening of our shows consists of when we bring him on for for these shows. Um, th- this might be though. It, it might be a double XL though. This was this wow. was this was up there. It was up there. I, I I mean, I thought it was about as good of a trios match as as you can ask for for the finals of a tournament tournament like this. It was just full of. I mean, the type of fast action that you would expect. Um, and a ton of storyline and I think character ramifications for everybody here. Uh, primarily, you know, anytime you had a uh, page in there with Omega, um, it was really, really electric. You know, the amount of uh, history it just it, that, 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 you know, is between the two immediately comes to mind. Um, I love the fact that they are going to seemingly continue this whole storyline by not necessarily reuniting page with the elite yet. And more so, you know, it's, it's probably taking the time to really tell a nice little breakup story, focusing on his relationship with the dark order. Um, I'm looking for this to be, you know, a big springboard for uh, silver and Reynolds, you know, beyond just kind of being, Hey, another tag team that's occasionally on BTE that you might hear from, you know, in, a, in an occasional challenge to becoming some very legitimate contenders and whether that's as a heel team or a babyface team, uh, I don't know, but I, I hope they get a big role coming out of this. Yeah. Silver and Reynolds have been so good for so long. And something I did like about this pay-per-view was giving like them a spot, giving Ricky Starks and Hobbs and the acclaimed and kind of these homegrown talents, homegrown. uh, a bit of a, a spot and still playing off all the history from, these previous matches. I, it wasn't quite in focus, but I'm pretty sure Matt Jackson shook his head yeah, instead yeah. of did the nod yeah. before yeah. the fuck shot, uh, which I thought was a nice little touch. And the fact that you've got Alex Reynolds and John Silver both getting near falls on, on Kenny and you biting on it. Like, realistically, Alex Reynolds probably isn't 
pinning Kenny Omega, but all of us here watching were like screaming, thinking it happened. So I, I thought this was great. I'd love to see uh, Dark Order elevated more because I think they've they've been such a strong team for such a long time now. Yeah, I, I really love this match. This was probably my match of the night on on this show. But I'll say that I, I do kind of agree with you. The, the last few weeks of TV with all these trio matches have been like super entertaining. And this did feel like the culmination of a tournament. Like it had so many layers to it with the stories of who's in the match, but like all the crazy st- the stuff. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy that Kenny's back. I'm a big Kenny fan. And I thought this just, again, blew me away. I was, I was kind of spent after this. It's like, Oh, we're two matches in and it's already, it's already this good. More importantly, after this tournament and, and going with Kenny and the bucks as the champions and this level of quality, these trios titles feel as important as any titles in the, in this company. Like to me, it's these trios titles feel way above like your your TNT championship, your tag titles, like this to me, like the trios division feels like the the most like top le- le- level that 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 you have that is just uh, adjacent to your world championship picture. It's certainly off to a really hot start, you know. As with I think all things, um, follow up is is certainly the most important. So, how many trios teams stick around? Uh, and do they continue to have great matches coming off of this? And certainly with the elite as, you know, the, like sort of like the attraction now, it, you can main event, you know, pretty much any dynamite, maybe eventually even a pay-per-view with one of these defenses. And now we Absolutely. get hangman and we get hangman now who has to hang his head knowing that he failed and he let down mm-hmm. silver and Reynolds. So that's, a, that's a great story for him. He's very good in that role. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jade Cargill against Athena was next for the, uh, the TBS championship. No Stokely Hathaway, uh, coming out with, uh, with Jade and the baddies. And first was Athena with her homemade wings with lights on them. The, these, I don't know how you, you make these. Uh, it had like a remote control, I think, with it. Um, these things were nuts. I don't know how you travel with these. I mean, imagine checking these at the airport and explaining what they are. I mean, try explaining a title belt would be a lot of annoying too, I think, but she didn't have to worry about that. <laughs> well, then Jade uh, overshadowed her entrance because out comes She-Hulk, which is probably the only Hulk we're going to see in AEW. But this was mm-hmm. uh, this was quite the uh, quite the cosplay from uh, Jade Cargill. That was this h- how uh, how true to form was this way? Very true to form. Yeah, she, I, I thought she looked great. You know. Um... I thought Megan the Stallion would would be out with her, maybe. Yeah, that, I was missing that. We it got us discussing uh, twerking uh, uh, earlier. Yeah, <laughs> we would it would have been great, but she looked great. Why use that that crappy CGI Disney's using when you just have the real <laughs> She Hulk right Higher here? Jade. She looked she looked incredible in this outfit. Yeah, crazy. So not, they, not the first wrestler to uh, dress up as She Hulk on uh, video. Hmm. <laughs> Oh, Davey knows what I'm talking about. Everyone's mind was buffering, and then everyone got it. Uh, well, so they they kind of did like like a Brock Lesnar kind of sprint. At least that was the idea here, where it was just boom, 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 boom. We had Athena hit the O face immediately, and the referee, one, two, and then Jade's got a kick out here because Layla Gray and Kira Hogan were too late to pull her to pull Athena off of Jade Cargill, so she had to kick out of her finisher. So, could you imagine if the the streak ended because of that? <laughs> well, Athena up. gets pulled to the ground, and it's like you've you've. 
you're you're supposed to be livid because they have cost you the match. But I imagine she, there there was some legit uh, anger here. And yeah. then she took Layla Gray and dude fired Layla Gray with this uh, with this shotgun drop kick that sent her into the barricade. I thought the barricade barricade was going to break when Layla Gray hit it with the force that she did. And I think that was all we saw of Layla Gray for the rest of this, albeit very short match. And she comes back into the ring. Jade is just like hunched over. And Athena returns, and then they just go through. Um, it ends with a Samoan drop with Jade. Tony Schiavone is saying they're firing some live rounds, which in the context of a pro wrestling show, what do live rounds mean? <laughs> they're not working uh, these punches. It really doesn't make sense. It, it couldn't live rounds just mean like, oh, they, these ones look like they really hurt. Uh, more than the other ones. The, the non-live rounds? Anyway. Um, Athena goes for a reverse cross off the middle rope right into the pump kick and jaded. Four minutes and 21 seconds. Um, n- nice finish with, with the timing on the reverse cross and jaded. Um, th- there was definitely like some clunkiness here and the timing was, was not always great. Um, but I kind of got into like just the chaos of these four minutes that it was just, this just felt like they were trying to emulate like a video game style of fight and it wasn't always pretty at times but for the four minutes um it was it was entertaining agreed yeah it was a four minutes that i i was completely captivated by and i mean at four minutes it would be sad if any of it was boring but it was not um it was a sprint and i think it really showcased how high of a level athena is at in comparison to so much in 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 at least you know what you saw on screen here and maybe in the division itself uh, she was, you know, pretty spectacular here in what she was able to accomplish with the Jade match. And I think Jade, to me, she had a lot of um, explosiveness that um, actually impressed me. Um, I It was, again, not without imperfection, as you mentioned, John. But, you know, it, it seemed to carry the crowd um, for most of it. And uh, I thought it was compelling. This post-wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible, conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister. And putting away more money for retirement. Because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Yeah, I, I feel a lot of Jade matches, There's she does some quite impressive stuff, but then it's the stuff in between where she's mm-hmm. just kind of walking around where it, it, it comes down. And because this was just a condensed match, I thought it made it way more exciting. And yeah, it wasn't perfect, but it was definitely way more into a Jade match than I've been before. And I think it's almost appealing. It kind kind of like Goldberg, like everything he did, you go, oh, that looked rough. That kind of hurt that one. But there's something quite exciting about watching it as well. And I, I think this is definitely more of a formula you should be going with Jade moving forwards. But I also think it was the right move keeping her as champ here. Yeah, I, could, I wouldn't believe uh, Athena would be the one to to do it. But it was it was quick and it was pretty fun, entertaining. I, I think the streak should continue on. And uh, she's really good at the cosplay stuff. Does anyone jump out at you, Davey, to to eventually end this streak? Is there that one person that you know you you look at, and because I, I don't I don't know if that person is like really ju- jumps off of the roster as as who this is, um, who this is designed no. for. 
no one there right now. Yeah. I mean, I could see Important. you maybe going for the the women's title as well and being a double champ at some point. Um, but yeah, no one really stands out at all. It's, I think this title is bigger than the other titles sometimes, I feel. Whenever I watch the matches and her promos, she comes across as a bigger deal, especially with the title being like yeah. interim now. They also cut to her daughter, who was in the crowd and looked so happy seeing uh, her mom retain. So there were uh, several daughters that appeared on this show. Alex Marvez is outside in the parking lot earlier in the day, and his timing was impeccable because as he is awaiting, uh, CM Punk walks up, walking his dog Larry with Ace Steel, uh, probably discussing their, their promo from Wednesday, and... He asks him if he's 100% tonight. Punk says, I've never been 100% going into a fight. And Moxley has an easy target. But you're not just fighting me. You're fighting Ace. You're fighting Larry. You're fighting the firefighters here in Chicago. School teachers like Nora Flanagan and the city of Chicago. So this is uh, this is a very bloated main event when you <laughs> take into account all the participants. And he says that Moxley beat him once. He's not going to do it twice. This was uh, vote for CM Punk. He says, Chicago, the city that works. It's like, (laughs) okay, uh, I'll vote for you later. But, you know, the preceding message has been paid for. Even did they like turn to the camera, like thumbs up, like vote for me. Well, I mean, it worked for this crowd because they were they were cheering on the uh, the mayor. They're the mayoral candidate in this main event. Wardlow and FTR against Jay Lethal and the Motor City Machine Guns. And FTR comes out and Dax's daughter, Finley, comes out. She gives Wardlow a big hug. And they immediately bring up Sanjay Dutt calling Finley a brat on television. I knew from the the moment that she walked out what the payoff was going to be at at the end of all of this. So she goes to the back, uh, but we would see her later. Uh, Wardlow and Lethal start off this match. Um, The Machine Guns, um, I mean, they controlled a lot of this match. I thought the Machine Guns looked really good here. It's... um, you know, no surprise that they looked really good. Um, it's just you're looking at a, at a roster where there's just so many names to try and fit onto these shows. And then you're bringing in these guys uh, from Impact for a 16-minute match. So nonetheless, they certainly, like, held up their part for this. Um, Cash was in there. They got the heat on him for a long time until building up to the hot tag for the monster Wardlow to come in. F10 on Jay Lethal. And then Satnam Singh is on the floor and strikes Wardlow from the floor. This leads to a two count. They're triple teaming Wardlow and then Dax returns and he makes the big comeback. Liger bomb to Shelly, big rig on Saban. And then lethal goes for a lethal injection, a double version uh, to FTR. But then Wardlow drops lethal when he's left alone with him and hits the lariat four power bombs as part of his symphony. And the crowd just gets louder and louder and pins Jay lethal in 16 minutes and 26 seconds. So there was a lot that they were trying to cram into this match. You had your, um, you know, multi tag team champions in FTR with the various tag titles they have. You have this Jay Lethal, Sutnam Singh, uh, Sanjay Dutt contingent, and you've got Wardlow plus the outsider like dream tag team interaction with FTR and the Machine Guns. It just felt like there was a lot uh, going on here. Um, did they accomplish that goal, Braden? Uh, no, I, I I didn't get too into it as as much as I thought. I think. From the get-go, bringing in the machine guns as heels was kind of odd um, just because you'd get them over if, if you kind of just explained who they were to some people who might not know them. It was really cool. It felt like a cool throwback seeing these guys in the ring with hell, even Jay Lethal and tying it up because I did 
enjoy these guys through the years. But I thought they worked together as a, like like a three man team, like the guns yeah. and lethal. Like th- this was certainly to the betterment of the match, putting in the machine guns in as opposed to like s- sing and building the of whole course. match around that. Yeah. Of course, I, I still like it was cool to see them, and I, hey, I hope they kind of stick around. I, I know back in Detroit just on that show, we were hoping that we got the tag match between FTR and Bucks uh, and Guns. I, I still think we can eventually go to that, maybe hopefully on Dynamite or something. But uh, there was still a lot of cool stuff in there, I, and I, I kind of do want to see more of them. But uh, it didn't get on to another level because you kind of hit it on the head. It's, it was it just felt a little too weird. Jay Lethal, this he's always arguing with people. It just felt like a lot going on that didn't need to be maybe on this pay-per-view or just be on the buy-in. Yeah, I I feel this has dragged everyone down, to be honest. Um, uh, Just a couple of months ago, FTR and Wardlow seemed like the hottest thing. And now they're in uh, one of three trios matches on this bloated card and definitely the least important of the three. Um, I, I kind of feel, yeah, just FTR are carrying three sets of titles right now. You could have just had the tag match with Machine Guns, bringing in Machine Guns as a babyface so they can work. That, I mean, their style is so babyface friendly anyway. Yeah. Um, I think that would have worked. And as much as I liked Kingston and Ishii, if you've got Ishii around, do Ishii Wardlow as a title defense. Like, that would be way more interesting to me. This lethal story has gone on way too long. The match was way too long, I think. Uh, and just... It, it just didn't really connect, and I didn't feel it really connected with this crowd either. I'm in agreement. Like, I kind of checked out, too, because um, I think when you're talking about such a long pay-per-view already, like, I need the things that have, like, lasting ramifications to kind of really hook me. And this was just, you know, like, it felt like a Rampage match, you know, put together, like, a bunch of uh, guys with various feuds and then uh, put them all in a, in a tag match uh, together, play a, you know, like, that sort of thing. Um, not to say the work wasn't good, but... I it, it almost felt to me like this was a feud between Wardlow and Sanjay and Sutnam. And then, oh, by the way, we forgot to put FTR on the show. Let's cram them in. And then um, I, I suppose, you know, we need wrestlers to go up against FTR and Sanjay's not going to wrestle. Sutnam Singh isn't ready. Bring in the machine guns. And you have sort of like a messy thing that, you know, feels like almost a participation award for people that, you know, have to be on the show. Um, nonetheless, though, the spot of the match was wasn't anything in the match, but it was... To me, the follow-up. Yeah, so Singh and Dutt are on the apron uh, after the match, and then Samoa Joe makes his return and attacks Sutnam Singh using the ROH television title. And Sanjay Dutt gets sent into the ring, and Finley comes down, gets into the ring, breaks his pencil, and then Dax delivers a right hand to Dutt, and Finley stands on top of Dutt, pinning him and... Somehow, in all of this, Samoa Joe was bleeding afterwards. I was <laughs> like, how, how did you get busted open in about 30 seconds of work here? But uh, welcome back to uh, Samoa Joe. And again, this goes to uh, you know Tony Khan's comment this week that they would be pretty much operating at full strength by the end of the week. And Joe, another one who is, is now back after uh, doing some filming. So... Uh, it looks like Sutnam Singh's got programs with Wardlow, with Joe. I mean, Sutnam Singh is all set. And Finley, maybe, as well, yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You've built up several programs. It was interesting. At the Rochester show I went to, the, the after the show went off the air, they pretty much did this, but with uh, 
negative one an FTR right. uh, with the spot with QT. And it, it works getting FTR, like still getting that baby face reaction, even if not like the biggest position. And sure, they could have been in a much better match, but the stuff with the daughter, come on, it works. Yeah. The, the kids division. Yeah. The, I, I feel like FTR were kind of slated to fight the Bucks at, at All Out. And I feel like they've been just kind of pushed aside on on the thing but they still managed to come out and and still prove and 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 get over but uh still happy they're on the show ricky starts and powerhouse hobbs was next a lot of build up for this one taz is talking about the real bond that they had in team taz and starks just charges the ring fast paced to start this until hobbs cuts him off and a lot of the offense is hobbs focusing on uh, Stark's neck and go- going for the heat that way. Uh, Starks gets out of the way of the corner, lands his big tornado DDT. He's holding onto his neck, and then he comes off the ropes, and boom, he's hit with the spine buster out of nowhere and pinned in five minutes and 15 seconds. So a very dominant win for Powerhouse Hobbs. I can only imagine, way that they are they're building Hobbs up for something um, because this um, – to me, was just getting Hobbs over and getting his finisher over as devastating. Well, I think what they're building up to is a rematch with Ricky Starks. Um, I I don't necessarily see see this being the end because Starks has that neck injury to kind of play uh, use as an excuse. Um, I also feel like he needed Hobbs needed to win here to kind of really establish him. Ricky Starks is the babyface; he's the underdog going into this, and I think you need to build a bigger challenge for him to you know uh, defeat and powerhouse Hobbs. So, uh. I, I mean, it was a clean finish, but I mean, you, again, you have the neck injury as an excuse. The right person won, and I expect them to put a bit more life into this feud uh, afterwards. Yeah, it's. Um, I, I didn't mind this at all. Like, I know a lot of people want to see starts like like win this, but I, I, I kind of like you know you're you're going really strong with with Hobbs and getting this the spinebuster over, and yeah, I'm kind of curious like to to put him over so strong. Um, yeah, what what they have in the in the immediate future uh, for for Hobbs? Yeah, could it be TNT title to big lads wrestling Wardlow and Hobbs? That could be pretty pretty good. But I love p- 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 powerhouse. Yeah, I, I thought like his heel mannerisms and stuff. Like he has certainly, I, I think, adapted to this role well. Like I thought, you know, for for the limited time they had. Like I, I don't think this is going to be one of the more memorable matches on the show. But this was more so just uh, a dominant win for for Hobbs. And then Jim Ross comes out replacing Tony Schiavone in time for the acclaim to come out uh, with their rap uh, prior to the AEW tag title match. Uh, Max Caster says that they're they're bringing the scissors to a bunch of paper champions. Compares swerving our glory to Ambien. Uh, you ask whose house? You can call me Daddy because I'm telling you to move out, and they're gonna leave you on the floor like the documents at Trump's place. Oh. I've got to say, Max Caster's raps. I, I don't know if this was the upper echelon. Wasn't their best work, but uh, it was fine. It was good. It was still cheeky. The crowd, instead of singing "Bask in Our Glory," starts singing "Oh, Scissor Me, Daddy." And this <laughs> this was our signal that, dude, this crowd they came here to see CM Punk win the title, and they came to yell "Scissor Me, Daddy" because, dude, the acclaimed were so popular and like stunningly uh, like you knew like they're a popular act 
they felt like a main event act in this match. They were so loud for the acclaimed and with the songs and the way this match was laid out. Like it's one thing to look at this match and wow, the the crowd really over delivered just in terms of their response. But I would not have pegged this match to have been earmarked for as long as they had as well. Like this was just to me a match on the card and it would, would not have been one that I was putting a whole ton of attention into. And they, they gave them 22 and a half minutes. Good, yeah, mm-hmm. well deserved. This, this crowd yeah, got so hot for the acclaimed. I mean, I I wonder how many shirts they sold at PWT uh, this week because, like, damn, like they're so over this. This crowd made them like feel like, like you said, like the biggest thing. Everyone was behind them winning. You felt some sort of like double turn kind of thing happening, but really crazy ovation for this team. So Billy gone on to his second merchandise cash cow of his career. Honestly, like, yeah, I'm glad they they went back with that. Like, that's money on the that's money on the table right there. Scissor me, daddy ass is the funniest wrestling line in quite a long time. We in our we know our wrestling friend group now. Too sweet is has been put on the shelf for a little while because all we do is now you, you scissor people, and then it's fun doing it in public, and you have to try to explain to other people uh, what it is. But it's it's is it the new suck it maybe it's great. Well, they did the scissor spot with the acclaimed and Billy on the apron, and this crowd just lost their minds. It was so loud. And then the ch- the crowd is chanting, you can't scissor um, at, at Lee. And this is where the crowd like starts to turn on Swerve and Lee. And Swerve is just playing it up, and he's mocking uh, the scissoring to Bowens in the corner. And then they do the spot, which would be the key in the match, is Bowens slips off the turnbuckle, and he's favoring his left knee. And the referee's checking on him, and Billy's checking on him, and Swerve doesn't care. He goes after the knee, and this becomes the focus of the attack. And for the next like 15 minutes, Bowens is selling his left knee and just trying to to fight back against the tag champions here, eventually making the tag to Caster, who uh, fights back. And we just see this crowd that all they want to see is the acclaimed pull out this victory and win the tag titles. Um, there was a double team suplex to, uh, to to Lee as Swerve comes in. There's a Swerve stomp to Bowens for a massive near fall. They go back to the knee. Single leg crab is applied by Swerve. And then um, they're twisting on Bowens' knee as well. Bowens and Yanks Swerve from the apron, holding him for a mic drop, sending Swerve off the apron. And then Billy gets up. He's yelling at Keith Lee. Caster is able to hit a super kick and lifts up Lee into a DVD. The place explodes for this. Tags Bowens, mic drop to Swerve, and Lee makes the save. But he was like late on this save, and this crowd was chanting bullshit. They thought this was it. They thought they had the title switch. Uh, Some comparisons to like the uh, Roman Reigns-Drew McIntyre match yesterday where like this audience was just so invested in the challengers winning. So Swerve ends it with a, there's a spinning roundhouse that wildly misses Bowens, but connects with Lee and Bowens uh, goes for the roll up on Lee for another near fall. And it ends with the Swerve stomp into the spirit bomb. uh, And Keith Lee pins Bowens 22 minutes and 26 seconds. I thought this match way over delivered. This was one of the top matches of the show. I'm not going to go match of the show, but some might pick it. It was so heated for the acclaimed. And if they won, this place was going to explode. It was the biggest surprise of the show for to me, for sure. Um, obviously, you know, surprise appearances aside, but like, you know, as far as like on paper, what match did I really not have that much excitement for? I mean, this really was put together in, in, like in a week or so, you know. Um, but tonight, like, it, it was a special combination in chemistry of a tag team and a city and a particular crowd that really just, like, 
loved them. And uh, tonight told you exactly how much, you know, all the all the airtime that they've been giving to the acclaimed in this Ass Boys feud, how much of it uh, paid off because we f- it felt like we had like an incredibly hot babyface tag team here. To me, this was like the acclaimed breakout match. Bowens himself felt like the biggest babyface in the building tonight. And uh, again, a testament to the great job they've done. Yeah, this this was my match of the night. Like, I did love that trios match, but I think I had more fun with this one. Just and shows how important a crowd is as well. We've we've come off a few years and still got clap crowds in Japan and stuff like it. It shows how important it is and how much it can elevate. As you said, Bowens, his selling with the knee throughout just completely baby faced him. There were so many uh, near falls I was biting on, and I really felt you could have called called an audible here and just yeah. gone with the acclaimed because everyone wanted to see it um i i loved this match yeah i i think i know they're saying is the the acclaimed have arrived but this was definitely the like the match that went wow like you definitely have because i feel like they could be champions real soon run this back next week and and have them have them win it because like yeah they're a super hot over act everything's kind of coming together uh, with them and Bowens, like you, 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 be- you believe that his knee was was hurt. He was so good at, at the acting aspect of it there. So I, I was shocked at, at how much I loved this match. I can understand like not calling audibles because we don't know what long term plans are. And you know, swerve, swerve, and 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 swerve in our glory is probably a team that they want to position for people to chase a, a bit more afterwards. I would have called an audible to cut the redemption for Lee and Swerve at the end though because I feel like they have much better mileage as a heel tag team you got to yeah. see it here their aggression was that much better um, to me they're a team that's been kind of lacking real chemistry between the two of them uh, at least as personalities but like I, I like them way more as heels tonight yeah I think yeah. that makes sense it felt like Swerve didn't do the scissor thing I think he was reading the room maybe a bit better and Lee was like mm. oh women are scissor I guys feel, <laughs> I feel like I feel like they could they could definitely turn them heel and it would be a bit more interesting I thought I thought the acclaimed like they really established themselves as like a really like top act w- within the company I think the unsung person in this match was Swerve I think this guy has been so consistently great since he's come in he has been not someone that uh, of the signings they've made, he is someone that I, I don't see get enough attention. I think he's delivered in just about everything he's been put in, whether it's it's promo work, whether it's these pay-per-view matches that sometimes it goes in and it doesn't have a whole lot of buildup behind it or it doesn't jump out off the page. And they've delivered. And he's c- consistently, I, I think, that, you know, he to me was like the kind of the – uh, you know, Bowen selling was a big part of this match, but I thought Swerve was like a key part of this match as well. So yeah, th- this was um, this was a big a big win on on the show for for everybody involved here. And Billy Gunn, I mean, what what more can you say other than the man finding fi- finding gold? Uh, yeah, the crowd singing was fantastic. But I do like if they ever if they ever do have to lose Billy or he decides to turn on them again. They could just use Scissor Me Daddy and it will just be as over. But uh, that's just, it sounds so beautiful hearing them sing that. So after uh, Keith Lee offers to scissor Billy and Billy does, (laughs) this is the absolute last thing this crowd wanted to see. They did not want to see Keith Lee and Billy scissor and show any mutual respect. And I think that was uh, channeled through Swerve, who did not approve of this and just walked off. And that that was the end. So, I mean, a lot of people are going to look at this like of all matches, 
is this one where you, you call the audible or, um, you know, they, they obviously had their plan, but my God, this, I, I don't know how the most optimistic acclaimed fan could have imagined it would be this heated, uh, for, for this match and wanting to see this, this title change. But I also would have scrapped this thing at the end with Keith Lee and, and Billy because it fell really flat. Britt Baker, Tony Storm, Jamie Hayter, and Hikaru Shida to crown the interim women's championship. Um, a lot of chance for, for Hayter throughout. It seemed like the audience kind of picked her as sort of like their their favorite, and she would be figured into this, um, including the finish with, with Britt Baker and uh, setting something up for the future. There was a crazy tope suicida by Tony Storm onto Hayter, and Rebel ran in at one point just to get headbutted by Sheeta and Storm. Okay. Uh, Hater then drops Sheeta at the entranceway, and Baker uses a kendo stick and a stomp, leaving Sheeta laying, and they carry Sheeta to the back, and then she came back moments later with two kendo sticks to attack Baker and Hater. They tried a double pin on Sheeta. That was broken up, and Hater's favoring her elbow. Uh, Hater hit a tombstone. There was a meteora by Sheeta. So they're going through all these moves. Baker puts on the glove. And then Hater has the match won after a ripcord. Uh, but Baker y- yanks referee Paul Turner out to the floor. And Jamie Hater looks over at Baker and she's pissed. Storm hits Storm Zero. And then Baker throws Storm out of the ring and gets the near fall on Hater. Storm then returns DDTs to Baker and Hater. And it's, it's Hater that takes the fall at 14 minutes and 44 seconds. Tony Storm is the interim champion, and it also looks like Baker and Hater. You're going to probably go, go through that uh, split coming up uh, with the tension here. But um, this was one that I, I think it, it was tough to follow the uh, the tag title match. I think several of the matches had a tough time following the tag title match from from the crowd that seemed to come down for a bit of this. Um, th- this was an all right match. Um, I, I, I didn't. I, I didn't think it was it was bad, but I, I didn't think it was like one of the better matches on the show either. It was sort of right in the middle. I thought the action was good. You know, like crowd was certainly noticeably quieter for this one. And this, for me at least, was the point in the show where I was starting to feel a bit of that exhaustion. It was definitely a bit of a come down from the prior match as well. But the action was good. It was really nice to see Jamie Hayter sort of get that, like, you know, um, special reaction from this audience. And it played into, you know, the the big sort of um, disappointing part of the, of the match for her, uh, leading into the Baker feud again uh, really well. Um, I thought she received a pretty significant storyline moment coming out of this, but the rest of this just kind of felt like their way of, you know, course correcting to get back to Storm versus uh, probably Thunder Rosa at some point. Yeah, I thought I thought this achieved that the match was uh, probably lost within the shuffle of everything else there, but I do think Jamie Hater has been one of the best women in this company for quite a while, and the fact we're going to come out of this and you've got Tony Storm as champion who can have a story, but you've got another like women's non-title feud going on is good. I, I feel Brit's been completely lost since losing the, the title. And maybe this split with Jamie's been on the backbone because you just had the Wardlow MJF thing quite recently, which is quite similar. So I think it's a good thing. And this will hopefully uh, give a kick up the butt to the women's division that it kind of needs where we can have uh, some bigger stories going on. And you can go right back to that Thunder Rosa Tony match as soon as Thunder's ready. I think that's the match that you uh, eventually go to it. I do think the women's division has just been a little, not, not as good as kind of where it was. I know Brit being champ was like, felt like it was such a pretty big deal. And then since then it's kind of been not as, as big, but I do think this could have been another opportunity to put 
uh, the title on Jade because she could be the interim and basically hold both. But then eventually she would have to lose a match. So I guess it doesn't work. But uh, she's not I, ready. I, yeah, like, yeah. I, I yeah. argue she's barely ready for the TBS championship, in, in my opinion. But, you know, they've managed to hide her well enough. But, yeah. you know, you she has to be expected to be in the mix like this and to have the pretty consistent defenses at, at considerable lengths. And I, I think to me, the jury's still out. I, I completely called Tony winning though, because when she came out, she, it was like Liv Morgan when she won the title the, a couple of months ago. Yeah. She was crying coming to the ring already <laughs> rather than doing her like rock star stuff. So I was like, oh, Tony's winning. Look at her. Does She's anyone, emotional. Does anyone else think that her theme sounds exactly like Barracuda? Like it has to be based on that song easily. Yeah. That, it's pretty obvious, yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah. It's great. They made the official announcement of a full gear going to Newark, New Jersey on Saturday, November the 19th at the Prudential Center, and they'll do Rampage the night before in the same building in Newark. Are you guys going to be going to that one? It's tempting. We're about an eight-minute walk from the airport that takes us right to Newark, right by ah. the Prudential Center. So, I don't know. We might do an all-nighter and come back. We'll see. I, we're not doing Rampage. Not doing Rampage, <laughs> baby. But. Well, there you have it. November 19th. Christian Cage against Jungle Boy with Jungle Boy's mother and sister, who are my favorites whenever they're they're the best. They are in the front row and they're just staring a hole through Christian. The mother slaps Christian as he walks up to them. And then Jungle Boy comes out and Luchasaurus comes out of the heel tunnel and he choke slams Jungle Boy onto the steel part of the stage. And he chokeslammed him so damn hard when his back was showing, it just had like the crate marks all over his back. It's like, dude, this guy was, <laughs> this choke slam looked like the most unpleasant thing in the world. He, uh, Luchasaurus attacks security, brings Jungle Boy to the ring. His back is all marked up. Then he puts Jungle Boy through the timekeeper's table and Jungle Boy is tossed into the ring. Aubrey Edwards goes over. <laughs> Are you sure you want to do this match? It's like, no, no, don't let him do it. Like, do they have any any cause for uh, their safety uh, at all here? But Jungle Boy's like, no, no, ring the bell. Cage spears him immediately. Jungle Boy kicks out. And then Christian hits the kill switch as he, as he uh, uh, blows a kiss towards the parries in the front row and pins Jungle Boy in 24 seconds. So if you had if you had Christian Cage in 24 seconds in your in your office pool for all out, boom, you you nailed it. Yeah, how wild is that? I mean, I the story is going to go on and continue and I'm sure it'll build for even longer to the the time they finally have an actual match, but the swerve with Luchasaurus, I mean, that's they kind of explains now what they did with why he was just chilling with Christian and and all that and it's Remember like Remember oh, Marco Remember what happened, yeah, Marco? Remember Marco? Yeah, exactly. I thought Marco was coming out the tunnel too, yeah. but it didn't happen. But uh, yeah, this was shocking. That that bastard Christian Cage just continues to be the ultimate heel. Yeah, I think this made it make more sense because I I wasn't a fan of Jungle Boy going. Uh, sorry, Luchasaurus going back with Jungle Boy because Luchasaurus did some quite dastardly things the yeah. two weeks he was with Choke Christian Cage, people. and then he was like, "Oh no, I was just keeping an eye on him for you." I was like, "All right, well." Maybe apologize to poor Brian Pillman there. Yeah. Um, but I also a, a card this length, it it needed a match to go this quick. So yeah. you can you can do the proper kind of street fight or whatever uh, as a big dynamite main event down the road. I, this to me was way more effective than you know, let's say I don't know, a ten minute match plus angle. This was all we would have remembered anyway. 
So uh, I love this. Yeah. It, it was it was shocking. It was impactful, and you know, saves the match for another time. Uh, I, I know, like Brian Alvarez was like uh, uh, tweeting that he he felt like Christian was was injured because he he was taped up, and the the interactions with him they were are. really mi- minimal. Um, I mean, that's that's we don't know anything about that yet, but you know, maybe we will find out. Maybe there's something to that as well. But either way, I thought this was like a great outing for these three. I, I like how Christian has now a new problem solver, and it's not Tyson Tomko, but it's a dinosaur, and it makes sense. I love it. Maybe that's they'll, they'll shift the feud into Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus because Christian's injured. Yeah, prolong it. Yeah, there's ways you can go. Like th- this one did have a lot of build up to it, but I, I think ultimately it has the, the big payoff at the end. And, and quite honestly, on, on a show like this, I don't think your audience is going to be too upset that you do one match like this. I mean, it's yeah. like here we're looking at like way you were like hitting like the fatigue part and there were like five matches to go. Like it's it was a mm-hmm. long night. And, and I think sometimes this is like people are going to be open to th- this kind of a, a of a match layout, which is much more of an angle than it was a match. Marvez was with the Death Triangle and Best Friends, so they're setting up uh, that we'll get a six-man tag in Buffalo on Wednesday. And then Marvez just told the Lucha Brothers, you were robbed in the casino ladder match. And Phoenix, he basically had no words for this. And Pac says, it's a little doggy barking up the wrong tree, referring to Orange Cassidy. And then the Best Friends and Cassidy put their hands in with Dan House, and, and that was the end of that. So another match for Wednesday show. Brian Danielson and Chris Jericho with William Regal on commentary. So Jericho comes out at first to Judas and then it switches to White Zombie. And then Brian Danielson had the most uh, unlikely entrance of the night when Elliot Taylor, who must have lost his shirt somewhere backstage, uh, came out and performed Danielson's theme um, that he had talked about like he knew this guy. Uh, like he did an interview when he came in last year and talked about this guy. So he like knows him. And did this performance? It was the most un Brian Danielson like entrance you could envision. <laughs> I like if you had had like William Regal like grooving next to this guy, it would have been just the the cherry on top. Especially when the whole feud is wrestling versus sports entertainment, yeah. and yeah. Jericho comes out with the wrestlers entrance, white zombie, and, I'm rocking along, and Brian Danielson comes Brings out, out of Backstreet Boys, yeah, with his top off. <laughs> It like I I thought it was a goal pro wrestlers can enjoy music too. Well. So <laughs> it just it felt really odd and very like who knew Brian is this guy famous at, at all? No, I've never heard of this person at all. Who? What's his yeah. name? Elliot Friedman. Elliot Taylor. Elliot. It was, Elliot. If it was Elliot Friedman, this would have been <laughs> national news in Canada. Brandon from New Jersey is dying right now as you made that that reference. I, I thought this was the 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 least. Ex- I would never expect this to happen from Danielson. So it was a bit odd. This would uh, be a great heel entrance for Brian Danielson. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, it, yeah. The guy looked like he's like in a, a background extra in a music video. Like Danielson comes out dressed the same as Elliot Taylor. Like they're both like <laughs> grooving to the song. But. It, it and unfortunately. It made me like the song a whole lot less after this. Yeah, yeah. And it's not a bad song, but it, like also like that's not. I he also doesn't. I know we're podcasters and stuff, but doesn't he? He looks like that wasn't what he looked like. Like when you heard that song, I thought it was, I a, girl. I, I thought I thought it was a girl. Yeah, I thought it was a girl. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I was like, oh, that's what you look like. Okay, interesting. All right. What, what's it. wrong with a man having abs? There's not. There's nothing wrong. With I don't know, but he could have no, put. He could have put, put. He could have put a shirt on. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Anyway, this was a. Uh, I, I guess maybe maybe they thought they already had hit their quota of machine guns on this show, so they they had to 
enlist. I, I have a stable idea. He could join. He, he could join uh, the machine guns. I have this idea where the machine guns should form a team with Carl, uh, the machine gun. And then was there another machine gun to be ended? I don't know. I'm going off on machine guns. <laughs> so the match begins. Uh, Jericho's getting frustrated early on as Danielson is out wrestling him. D- Danielson, on the other hand, is like, <laughs> do you want entertainment? And he starts doing like the Rick Rude, like hip thrust uh, to-, to the audience. So I-, I thought they were having like a really nice wrestling match, but it was also very clear, like like this audience, like th- this was not tailored for necessarily um, maximum crowd engagement, nor do I feel they were going to get it because like this audience, I think, they, like this was this was not a dead crowd. I don't want to characterize it like that, but th- certainly there was a come down after the tag title match that I ex- think extended into this one as well. Um, Jericho stopped a top rope Hurricane Rana right into the walls of Jericho, and that was pretty seamless. Like we've seen sometimes that spot where the guy like his head gets spiked on the mat. He transitioned really well here, and, and, uh, and it's. It, it, it's especially scary when it's somebody like Brian, you know, who, who has point. gone through the hist- history. But I mean, he's successfully pulled this off uh, almost every, pretty much every time. I have to say, it's always impressive. Yeah, Danielson hit a tope suicida through the corner, um, got the knees up for a lion salt, and then goes for the label lock, but can't get the lo- the the hands locked. And they go through these counters, ending with a tombstone from Jericho and a lion salt. And he sets up for the Judas effect, but is stopped with this barrage of kicks by Danielson, including one to the head. And he goes back to the label lock. He's got the arm torqued and uh, centers himself in the ring. Then it's broken, and Jericho gets the walls. That's countered into the triangle, and then Danielson, uh, it, it's broken. Jericho catches him with the code breaker, applies the the lion tamer and again there's a rope break and now Danielson makes his comeback Busaikuni cattle mutilation and he's dropping down elbows goes back to the cattle mutilation and after kicks to Jericho there are repeated warnings by Aubrey Edwards to Danielson and he's got these overhooks on Jericho who takes Danielson into the corner where Aubrey is and then does like the Toriano like low blow spot that the referee cannot see and that leads to the Judas effect and Jericho pins Danielson Danielson in 23 minutes and 42 seconds. And they cut to Daniel Garcia looking disappointed backstage while the Jericho Appreciation Society minus Garcia come down to celebrate with Chris Jericho, the sports entertainment victory of the night. Mm. To me, you know, this one certainly suffered from its placement on the card. Um, it by I think the show standards felt like a slower paced match. And yes, these two are two of the most popular guys in the entire roster. But I think the pace of action to me was not enough to 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 you know survive this. And and the length of match that they had too, um, certainly I think was more of a detriment at this point. Um, I felt like I would have really enjoyed this if it was earlier on in the show. If it was the headliner of a particular dynamite, for instance. I would have probably had a much bigger reaction to it. I also feel like the novelty of maybe seeing Jericho trying to, you know, do technical wrestling that to me has, you know, was already kind of worn off after like, you know, the TV appearances. Uh, I much preferred the Garcia matches with Brian to this. Oh yeah. That two out of three falls match. I think I enjoyed better than maybe any match on this show uh, actually, but I think Jericho has been on a sweet, a sweet tear in the past little while reinventing himself constantly. He, he, he's been great, but I, I think this one, maybe it was like the fatigue for me, but it didn't quite hit as, as much as I want. I didn't, I'm not saying it, it was bad by any means, but because I, I, I love these two and I was excited for this match, but uh, it didn't get uh, to like the level. Maybe I thought that we would get to, it does, however, pro- like continue that story with Garcia and how he, you know, he hit the low blow to win. So, 
Uh, I am kind of still interested in this, like the the, the split parents with the, the child. It's a good story that they have going with yeah. Daniel Garcia, the ending. You know, I, I think this one, I, I agree. I think earlier in the show, I think the audience is a lot more engaged because the, the wrestling was very good in this match. I think it was just more of a subdued crowd. And, and maybe like you could have shaved off some of the time, like 23 and a half minutes like this late in the show. You know, you're getting a big main event still to come and another match after this. So I, I think like that maybe maybe played a factor, too. So um Later, they would show uh, Jericho telling Daniel Garcia that for his big match with Wheeler Yuta this week, he will not have Jericho or the Jericho Appreciation Society there with him. And Garcia is stating he needs them for their support, which I guess maybe like he's he's meaning like the moral support, because it's almost like you're the guy that's like no shortcuts to, Mm -hmm. to win this. So why would you need the Jericho society to, to be with you other than, um, Mm. you know, physical, we're not even going to be in the back to throw a party for you. You're going to celebrate by yourself in a lonely hotel room. Coaching me, shouting directions. I guess, I guess I, I do find Jericho's stories always go on way too long. And that's where not having this definitive win, it, it is a bit like, Ugh, okay are we i yeah. just want to see danielson doing other stuff and be yeah. like he's my favorite and i don't want to see him locked in this like three month feud with jericho i, I, I think they I, do what think- we're, I think what we're getting to is jericho and garcia i think that's the match mm, sure. that, yeah. that is kind of the the what what this is all building towards like i don't need to know i, I don't know if we need to revisit jericho and, and danielson again like it's Again, like outside of this, uh, like AAA mixed tag title thing, like they're they're very conservative when it comes to the rematches and just mm-hmm. running stuff back. So I don't know for a lot of these if we're going to see that because, like, to be Jericho and Garcia is the match to do at at some yeah. point. This and- is like uh, like Cobra Kai because I think uh, if Garcia in Buffalo beats Yuta, Yuta can get should. mad. Yeah. You can get mad and be like, wow, like this guy's with the, us now. And then he def- deflects and goes over to join the Jericho Appreciation Society. And it's still this Classic, like sports right. center. Yeah, it's like Cobra Kai, the dojos and stuff. But yeah, I enjoyed this match more than most. So I, it was actually one of my more favorite matches. I really like it still. Um, yeah. I like seeing Jericho, even at this stage in his career, doing different things like the, the like elbows and stuff that we don't really see from him. I, I, I'm enjoying Jericho this year. In his match, uh, like match styles, yeah. Wrestling wise, like I, I, I like this. Like I, th- I thought it was like a nice match, and it was different from everything else on the show as well. Second from the top, it's the Sting spot with Darby Allen and Miro against the House of Black, and the House of Black are in uh, face paint. They're out with Julia Hart, and we start with a very fast sequence uh, with Darby with Matthew Matthews, and then Darby with Brody King. There's a code red that gets stopped by a kick from Malachi Black, and then they just beat down on Darby until Sting is tagged, and this turned the crowd around. They they were here for Punk, they were here for Scissoring, and they were here for Sting, because <laughs> Sting was just so over and it was like this crowd just lit up as Sting got involved in this match. He hit the uh, the scorpion or applied the scorpion death lock onto Malachi, and then Matthews tries to kick him. He doesn't let go. Brody King kicks him. He doesn't let go of it. Then they both kick him. He's still holding on, and then eventually goes off balance as Malachi goes for the knee bar. Sting avoids Dante's inferno, hits a scorpion death drop, followed by Darby's coffin drop onto King, but Matthews makes the save, and then Miro uh, sprints around the ring and runs right into a bat shot from 
Buddy Matthews. And Darby follows with a tope suicida. Malachi is left in the ring with Sting, and he's going for the black mass, but Sting stops him with his own black mist into the eyes of Malachi, and that leads to Darby using the Last Supper to pin Malachi Black in 12 minutes and 10 seconds. And then what many people live were noting is that Malachi, uh, I guess as he was leaving, took a bow and blew a kiss to the crowd as he exited and will obviously amplify uh, speculation about what his uh, what his future is. Interesting. This I, this didn't connect with me. Um, I uh, we've seen Sting in this part, uh, and you kind of pointed it out, John. He's he's normally like second from top to kind of refresh, and you do it's, some. It's, crazy the, it's the new Jack match. match. Like it's it's like the party match. The, yeah, I, I agree with you. To me, this was not like the Sting matches. To me, like. Most of them, not not all of them, but most of them are pretty memorable. Like you can think, okay, that was that match. Like they're always a big part of the show. They always over deliver. And th- this was one to me that I, I don't think people will be remembering this one. It was, it was just too long. It was there. Beating down the baby face. Yeah. And at this stage in the show, you just, you wanted to see Sting jump off shit, really. And, mm-hmm. and with the six people involved, I was expecting something pretty wild and crazy here. And we just got a kind of standard match. And I think of all of Sting's AEW matches, this might have been my least favorite. Uh, I didn't think this worked at all. At least me. the Sting streak continues. The Sting streak So continues, that's good. Sure. But yeah, I, he, he should have jumped off something. Mm. I, I thought Miro was a total afterthought in, in this. Like, it just felt like his story was thrown into this and he was just another guy in the match. And, and if if this was Malachi Black's last match... um wouldn't it make more sense for Miro to get that like closing spot? He's yeah. the one with the story. Well, again, we we don't know what the what the status is with, with Malachi Black. Like in in theory, sure, um, but uh, mm-hmm. who, who knows what is uh, what, what what is going on uh, with him? Yeah, but I, I agree with you guys. Like, I think if you are confident enough to put this second to last on the show, I was expecting this one to be as bonkers as the last time they had to do something like this, you know, brawl all around the arena, like just crazy, you know, somebody dives off of something and then big sting spot. And this just felt a bit more like a standard wrestling match that again, you, you had the had talent had for like, there's, like, look at the, the, like the talent you've got here. Like this is a, like quite the, the six man that you could have put together. So yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I, th- th- this to me did not, um, th- this disappointed um, from expectations. Um, and then we go to uh, the main event with John Moxley and CM Punk and Punk comes out. He's got a new shirt. We are Chicago and he's in his, the long boys here for, for, for Chicago, white and blue with the, with the flag of Chicago. I mean, this guy, like there, there could not be a more, uh, bigger representative of, of the city than, than Punk here on this night. And then Moxley comes out with Regal. It's a, it's an incredible atmosphere. This crowd is like, just ramped up for this match. Any any downturn they took, they were they, they certainly warmed up in the Sting match, and then they were red hot for the, this main event. And I thought the atmosphere was just incredible for for this this main event. Punk puts out his leg at the beginning, daring Moxley to go after it. Moxley's just giving him the middle fingers, and the crowd is just on Mox on Moxley when he's landing elbows, and he's just showering in these boos and and playing them up really big. He totally understood what his role was here in Chicago against the hometown guy. Um, so um, Punk ends up landing a roundhouse kick, hits the step-up knees, and calls for the GTS, hits it, 
And because of that TV match, this whole crowd bought this as the potential finish that Punk wins in two minutes. But Moxley kicked out. I, I thought a, a very smart uh, spot to do earlier in the show. Uh, but then Moxley takes over. He posts Punk, who comes up, and he's all bloody. And Moxley, dude, he is biting at this wound. He's licking the blood. I mean, what diseases were going through this man? I have no idea. But this was so gross. Oh, yeah. Bloody and gross and just dripping everywhere. It was leaking out of this man. And Moxley was getting rolling around in it. It was, that was This was a lot of blood. Yes. Um, so... Punk is is fighting back and he's like he's selling all the blood loss here and Moxley goes after the foot and the crowd is like they're angry that he is going after this this foot that they know is really hurt and he torques on it. Punk at one point gouges the eye and I think it was Taz who brought up Jericho using the spike on Moxley's eye two and a half years ago, like a fantastic callback to to make sense of that. Um, there, there's a figure four spot with Punk giving the middle finger as he's in it, and then he gets the Anaconda device, and this is when Moxley breaks it by biting the forehead that's all bloody and then stomps down Punk's face. Punk then comes off the top for an elbow and lands into the rear naked choke that's moved into the bulldog choke by Moxley, then to an ankle lock, twisting on the injured foot. And Punk lands this head kick out of nowhere, uh, Leon Edwards-esque, and then goes for the GTS. It's stopped. The Death Rider gets stopped, and they're both just continually going for their finishers. And then Moxley gets the bulldog choke back. Loud, loud chance of CM Punk. And then he lifts up Moxley with the choke applied. And Punk rolls out, lands the GTS, and Moxley is like out on his feet and collapses on top of Punk's back. So then Punk deadlifts Moxley, who's just out, gets up, grits his teeth, and hits a second GTS. And this keeps Moxley down in 19 minutes and 57 seconds as Punk wins the match. Uh, The first question was, what did you think of the match itself, Davey, before we get to the angle? I really enjoyed it. I I think the the crowd was interesting here because I think Chicago is a wrestling town and obviously they they like punk, but they've respected what Mox has done uh, all these weeks with the the interim title and now the AEW title. And there were definite Mox chants there. And towards the end, it was very 50-50, which was interesting. And I, I kind of feel there's maybe more in sort of a, Punk being heel, and maybe this was the opportunity. But I, I did really enjoy the match. I thought uh, I like how they played off the finish from from Wednesday the other week. Um, uh, I, I think Punk's been pretty strong in his return, and and um, coming back from this injury, I didn't sense any kind of uh, weakness from like his since his previous matches we've seen. I, I did enjoy the match, but. I don't know. I, I I kind of would have been into uh, Mox retaining, but obviously with with the angle after it, it makes a whole lot of sense. This is the first time he's been pinned clean. Yeah, like in AEW. So True. that's that's a pretty big deal that Punk is the one to do that. But I was I was getting super behind Moxley. He's been on quite a run, and I feel like since this interim thing, it's been really great. And he's definitely just been a character I love watching week to week. So I definitely was cheering for him. But it makes total sense of what they go to do with Punk winning and everything. But the crowd were hot for both of them. Mm. Like the crowd were so supportive of Moxley and cheering for Punk. But it it, it was great. Uh, I I am a little. I'm like ah. Oh, think of the Mox run that he's got because he's a killer. But there's some interesting stories to come now. I think with Punk being champ. 
Wait, after, you know, you weren't crazy about like the television match they did a week and a half ago, but mm-hmm. uh, watching this, do you think it helped? Do you think it hurt? Um, wh- what are your thoughts on, on that match and the way in which they, they decided to build this up where you didn't get the announcement until Wednesday? I'm personally of the opinion that I think it hurt. Um, I don't think the rating on TV was necessarily um, that special. Um, and I think you would have had this baby face reaction for CM Punk in Chicago anyway, regardless. You know, him coming back from a foot injury, I think you could have told the same story. Uh, in fact, he barely, like, you know, like made that big of a deal of the foot, in my opinion, you know, compared to what, what it was in, in the match two weeks ago for me to believe that this is even you know a continuation of that same story a guy who had to quit a match like that coming in here delivering those roundhouse kicks um and and really having not that much effect on on the overall outcome of the match um took took a bit of my you know um uh uh, i think um uh ability to uh, to suspend my disbelief out of it it's also the idea that um in AEW, we're a, a company that puts so much emphasis on rankings um, how somebody can get blown out and just simply, you know, do the open contract deal to to get a rematch. I I just never liked it, and you know, it's 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 something that I think AEW has really worked hard to avoid. You know, those those sort of like logic gaps. Um, and so you you would have preferred they just kept it as is, like it's Punk, Punk Moxley, and the first match happens at, yeah. at the pay per view because obviously this was the biggest match you could put on the on this pay per view. I guess it's the direction yeah. in which you get there. I, I would have disagreed if the rating was was significantly you know uh, improved on TV uh, for them to spike it. Then sure, or if the reaction was uh, in this match, the babyface reaction for Punk was was all that different. And I honestly don't believe it would have been any different if you didn't do it. What it did accomplish was i think setting in motion you know a cm punk heel reaction from anybody outside of chicago and maybe that's already something that you heard tonight you know this was very much a split crowd for all the pandering punk did to a chicago audience i it it was certainly more 50 50 to me and i i think for me at home um and for anybody outside of chicago it's very clear that moxley is a better talent in ring than CM Punk. You can see the quality of difference right there. Um, and so I could see a bit of resentment coming out of this for, you know, somebody like a punk just coming in, getting undeserved title shots, at least in character, and then coming off with the title. And as we'll talk about with, with um, you know, uh, something else that happened as we went on air here with CM Punk, um, it's a direction I can certainly see them heading towards with punk being heel. Yeah, well, we'll wrap this up and then we'll, we'll go over some of the, uh, the, the press conference notes. But, um, I, I thought the atmosphere was fantastic. I, I thought the main event really de- delivered. I enjoyed this, uh, quite a lot. Um, but then Punk is in the ring, the lights go out, and all of a sudden you hear Tony Khan's voice from a voicemail that he had sent to someone and he is offering uh, them to come back. He will put this person in the casino battle royal. You don't have to sign anything and you will get, and it's, it's, uh, bleeped out, uh, whatever the amount is. And then they cut to ROH footage of CM Punk cutting the, the, the greatest trick the devil ever, ever played, uh, promo. And then the Joker from earlier in the night unmasks on screen and it is MJF who states, I, uh, he is the devil. 
or I am the devil himself. And then the music plays and the place erupts for MJF who walks out and Punk is holding the title belt up in the ring. The whole arena is chanting MJF and he makes the signal for the title belt, gives the middle finger to the audience and Excalibur says, we'll find out more on Dynamite. Because it's also going to be Daniel Garcia taking on Wheeler Yuta. Plus, we're going to have a trios match. It's going to be the best friends in Orange Cassidy taking on Death Triangle. And that's how the show ended. I thought a great, um, great angle to go off the show with. Um, your most newsworthy angle to do. Um, you know what the next major title program is going to be. And, um, I, I thought it was a strong end to the show. Like it, uh, it, it ties up the, the story and it, it gives you, uh, that, that direction. I feel as well, if you want to do that heel turn with Punk, like having MJF cheered in Chicago, like the last image is Punk holding the title with his hometown Chicago going MJF, MJF. It's great, like fuel moving forwards. Uh, But yeah, I'm glad MJF's back. He's one of the best to me, and I, I think he's been missed. Yeah, I really liked his his intro video. It was something creative. I like the fact that we started the pay-per-view with this like mystery that like you kind of could figure it out. It was him. And then obviously the big reveal, but I think it was uh, very creative mm-hmm. and, and the Rolling Stones, even though he came out to his actual music the second time. He even yeah, like yeah, maybe, did, did his usual yeah. entrance. Um, Like, I mean, it was, it was very obvious to, it's an, it was an interesting way to like, you know, create a show long narrative on a pay-per-view, which I don't think you often see, but you know, delivered a satisfying conclusion. Unfortunately, like I think this firmly like ends any sort of like worked shoot believability that we might have still been able to hang on to with MJF and whatever was going on with him. It is now firmly storyline. And, and at some point, whenever he was going to return and you're building to a wrestling match that had to end anyway. Um, so I'm not really too upset about it. Um, but there, there is, though, like the, the one big question and I and, you know, I, I don't think like the, the principles are going to be like revealing this is like the fact of has he signed a real extension? Like in the storyline, he's signed nothing. But in actuality, if he is not like, are you going to push this guy as one of your main heels or baby faces in this title picture and potentially like he leaves in in, in a year? John, I think the answer is yes. Because even if I, does, I think it would be crazy not to have that that extension signed. Sure, but even if he does leave, your job is to make as much money as you can off of him until he does go. And if he like, he will leave eventually anyway if he is going to. Um, but at the same time, do you like throw away all this great kind of like buzz about him because you don't want to push him, push a guy that might just ultimately be taken by the competition? I think you make as much money out of him as you can. I, I think it's it's fighting that that perception though that I think is going to be more prevalent that I think there's going to be a lot more talent that are much more in line in terms of like WWE will be recruiting them that a year ago they might not have been as open to and, and he's a top one like do you want to have that you know you, do you want to make it a trend of you know main event talent that are leaving your company and going to WWE who ultimately can. Um, they're going to have a ton of money at their at their disposal for all of these people. I mean, it's great for an MJF. He is in a fantastic position. I also don't think you should be in the in the in the sort of like business of like stopping people from reaching their stardom. You know, and I think the trick if he is going to leave is to try to give his values to somebody else. And we can also mention he's going to now be associated with Stokely Hathaway, who had managed him in the Indies, right? And presumably is going to be the leader of this brand new faction with uh, Morrissey. 
the, the Lee Moriarty, the Gun Club. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and I feel like Morrissey. Yeah, Morrissey's gonna is is replacing Wardlow now. Like he'll be his new his new big man. His which new which muscle. does have the connection from like the uh, the, the, the Wardlow um, setup when he brought Morrissey in the first time a couple of months ago. So yeah, there's, yeah, true. There's that as well. I, I like this story. I like the storyline, and I, I'm I would be interested to see if you you could even flip MJF to be a good guy and Punk to be the heel, but. I think yeah. he's going to be a babyface on on Wednesday when he comes out. If he's on the show on on Wednesday, which I I think you'd want to have him be the main focus on on Wednesday with a big promo. Um, I think he's going to be received as a babyface. But will the faction be a babyface faction though? They're all heels. Oh, true. Yeah. True. Uh, I'm just saying that he walks out on Wednesday. That's a babyface reaction. So he. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to take a lot. I think for him to to turn the crowd, but I think that will be the the natural uh, reaction that they have. Um, j- just quick thoughts overall on, on the pay per view. I thought I thought there were three just spectacular matches with the main event, um, the the tag title match, which. Uh, was not one I was expecting going in, and uh, my match of the night was the trios match, though. But those three matches I thought were stellar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I I enjoyed the pay per view. I'd say on the lower side of some of the AEW pay per views, more of a thumbs in the middle with me, with some excellent stuff in there. Uh, and coming off of watching kind of Clash of the Castle yesterday, which I might have enjoyed more, just being that condensed kind of takeover format of just six matches. All kind of delivering. I think, obviously, nothing probably touched that trio's match today, but uh, there is too much is too much at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's long, they're long shows. And this one suffered from it, for sure. You, yeah, if, if you gave me like a five-match show with Punk versus Moxley, the trio's tournament final, um, you know, I think even like the interim women's championship four-way deserved to be on that. Um And then, uh, you know, some of the angle matches, fine, but like you put throwing Ishii versus Kingston in that, like we might be talking about, you know, a, a continued stretch of like one of the, you know, like high high bar level AEW pay per views that's out there. But to me, it's not even a question now. Like the bloated nature of these shows, the extended runtime of these shows are more is more detriment than than positive. And I think you saw it in the result of some of these crowd reactions. And my overall opinion of the show, it's it's you know listening to like an album that's like full of too much filler and only a few great singles. Um, I'm not going to look back as fondly on the entire experience, but there were some select, you know, matches in there that uh, were absolutely fantastic. All right. Um, let's uh, talk a bit about this, uh, this press conference after, because uh, afterwards uh, CM Punk made his way uh, to, to speak with the media and seemed to be pretty pissed off. Um, and this is from Andrew Thompson's uh, report up do, on the site. Do you actually guys want to listen to it? Yeah, let's let's just if if we can play it, let's play the uh, the 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 clip. Just a two minute twenty clip here, and then yeah. we'll we'll yeah, get our re- reactions to it right here. Business. Uh, why I'm a grown ass adult man, and I decide not to be friends with somebody is nobody else's fucking business. But my friends, if I fall backwards, will catch me. Scott Colton, I felt never would have. My problem was I wanted to bring a guy with me to the top that did not want to see me at the top. Okay. You call it jealousy. You call it envy, whatever the fuck it is. My relationship with Scott Colton ended long before I paid all of his bills. I have every receipt. I have every invoice. I have every email. I have the email where he says, and I quote, I agree to go our separate ways. I will get my own lawyer and you do not have to pay anymore. That's an email that I have. The only reason the public did not see is because 
when I finally had to countersue him through discovery, we discovered he shared a bank account with his mother. That's a fact. And as soon as we discovered that fact and we subpoenaed old Marsha, he sent the email, oh, can we please drop all this? Now, it's 2022. I haven't been friends with this guy since at least 2014, late 2013. And the fact that I have to sit up here because we have irresponsible people who call themselves EVPs and couldn't fucking manage a target. And they spread lies and bullshit and, and put into a media that I got somebody fired when I have fuck all to do with him. Want nothing to do with him. Do not care where he works, where he doesn't work, where he eats, where he sleeps. And the fact that I have to get up here and do this in 2022 is fucking embarrassing. And if y'all are at fault, fuck you. If you're not, I apologize. But what did I ever do in this world to go to deserve an empty headed fucking dumb fuck like hangman Adam page to go out on national television and fucking go into business for himself for what, what did I do? Dave, what did I ever do? Didn't do a goddamn thing. All right. That was was CM Punk's (laughs) comments afterwards. And, uh, yeah, there will. Uh, I, I'm sure there will so be the mad. contingent tomorrow. That's oh man, what a work! They're 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 building something up. I think people can can read between the lines at, at a certain point because it gets comical at some points of like the the inability for people to grasp like real issues that uh, arise out of this. But um, none, nonetheless, um, yeah. Do you do you have any reaction? I mean, it's it's kind of a self explanatory, but obviously this was a. Uh, a unique yeah. place to uh, to voice this, but obviously felt the the need to. Which uh, listen, if he was you know wrongly accused uh, of this, like I, I I understand that 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 anger when he's being accused of something publicly that if he had nothing to do with, uh, you are going to want to defend yourself. You know, it is the nature of professional wrestling and professional wrestling fans to question everything that they hear, especially when it when it's involving other professional wrestlers talking about other professional wrestlers. Um. Hearing that, hearing the conviction in his voice, hearing, you know, maybe um, the, the parties being brought up, such as uh, um, Cole Cabana's mother, um, I can pretty confidently say I don't see him working with Cole Cabana in a professional wrestling fictitious faction and fashion anytime soon. I won't necessarily rule out a program with like Hangman Page down the line. Um, and But, you know... Maybe to me, Punk might just be that either that convincing of a speaker for me to truly believe in his words. But I'm leaning towards like, hey, like this is a guy who clearly has a lot on his mind and just simply wanted to get it out there once this live microphone was in front of him. Um, it's certainly interesting. And if if the idea is to get people to stop talking, I mean, this will do anything but really we're we're going to be talking about this for the whole week, I'm sure. What's the exact like? He he sounds really upset. What's the thing that Hangman said like on TV that got him so? It's workers' rights. Workers it? Rights. We talk a lot about workers' rights, but we don't see evidence of that or gotcha, something along gotcha. those lines. And it was to, calling oh. Punk out when he was not available. Hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He sounds pretty. Sounds pretty angry. It's it's not like a, I, I'm with you way. Like you definitely, I, I don't see this as a, oh, no. a, like a work or anything, but it's man, like you're talking about EVPs. What? So Kenny, the bucks, 
Hangman. These are all top guy. You're the champion of this company, and you would yeah. expect a this is the, this is the top star at some point. Yeah, this is like, the top star sit, sitting down in front of like media, and this clip will circulate everywhere. And if you wanted to downplay like the talk of like your chaos in your locker room, you have now amplified it to uh, an unimaginable degree than it was. Uh, three hours ago like it looks like here is your top star that is coming out and you know just you know listen the evps that couldn't run a target like this is you know some people will just take this as like nothing serious but i I think it really does um just kind of amplify all that's existed over these these last few weeks where like this has been such a focus uh, of all of this like this just sounds like um anarchy in your locker room that is now just spilling out into the public and you're just getting guys that are coming out here and just um, knocking each other. And I don't think any of this is in the the direction of, of business at all. This is all just um, – th- this just sounds like like venting. And I I, I think – you know, it, it's pro wrestling. You can always uh, – Turn it point, into business. You yeah. can. You can at, at some point. But uh, I, I don't feel we are at that point right now. Well, what's interesting is like this comes in the midst of like them rekindling this MJF CM Punk deal. And um, – I it makes me wonder I wonder how the audience will kind of react to this whether or not like this further fans sort of like the negative reaction that people have started to build towards CM Punk or if people are going to continue to be to like be on his side I'm probably of the opinion that like fans at this point are more likely to not want to cheer for Punk and be on the sky, side of uh, Cole Cabana or like the Bucks and Kenny for instance and how does the, that affect this MJF storyline where I still feel like it's relatively clear that it's MJF going in as a heel versus Punk as a baby face um, there's no doubt to be like it'll get brought up in some sort of fashion uh, whether in a cast or a rap or, or just even something like that but how far along do they go with it to really kind of you know embed it into whatever narrative that they already had planned yeah, I I would just say like this is like there is you are always going to have like issues among among talents, uh, especially when you know some are you know higher on the pecking order th- than others. But when it is spilling out uh, like to, to promos on, on television and to events like this, I I just think like at a certain point like this, you do need to have that 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 bad cop that is going to play that role in here that is not going to be able to just let guys go out and and cut these promos on each other that are leading nowhere. And you're calling out uh, a guy to come answer a challenge that no one's expecting to come. And it just makes your baby face look, look silly in in all of this. And this is not like a direction you're going in. Um, So, you know, there's, and there's, you know, we brought it up several times in all of this because it's not like it's an isolated incident that you have this structure of, you know, we, we don't have writers and we leave, we leave the promos to, you know, go out there. You do your bullet points or whatnot, but there's stuff that like it crosses a, a certain line for people. Well, what is that line? If you're a hangman page, like, yeah, you're, you're trying to like really convey like a personal hatred for the guy you're building to a match. Like that was the design of hangman's promo. And that's like, where, where do you kind of define that line? Each performer is going to have a different one. Yeah, is it is it like you know sunny days kind of thing? You say something that can officially like piss piss someone off in so many different ways that you didn't even you're just trying to sell a match. It is getting to that level, isn't it? Where like I I could like you know like as as tense as maybe what Sean and Brett were going through on live TV and behind the scenes. Like years from now, will we will we be talking about you know CM Punk and AEW in uh, 2022 and 
what what will come of this. Um, it it is very interesting and continues to be. It's just uh, like you you don't hear you didn't hear about any of this stuff before Punk came in, you know. And there's there's yeah. been a lot since Punk came in. Cody left, you know. There's Eddie Kingston is is very vocal, and I'm sure there's some working it with it as well. But yeah. he seems to not like Punk. It Mox's promos obviously were more work but like it, there does seem to be like shit going on and it's and now it's just blown up in front of us it's wrestling's back baby yeah ah, like, it, it, but it, I, I felt uncomfortable just watching that there yeah, just like, man, I, that, yeah. I like AEW and i feel like i'm i'm becoming a wwe guy again after this week stop it stop talking <laughs> like that no I'm i want to know what the, what, what the question was that prompted that answer <laughs> I'll be listening to that whole press conference right yeah. after this, believe me. Yeah. But yeah. you know, again, like for better or worse, all these things now. Look, look, they just paid off this whole MJF thing that like was I think of a similar, you know, vibe. Like, yeah, at least we're we're to believe, you know, that that MJF was very unhappy with what was going on within the company. Um, and they turn it into story. I don't doubt that, you know, the wheels are spinning in Tony Khan to think about how he can make money off of this and and maybe he should. So um We'll see how AEW handle it, handles it. That that this this is one of those things that like makes professional wrestling so incredibly weird and so incredibly unique. You could take real life elements and somehow turn it into art, or vice versa. Um, so, I'm it. It could be a, a you know um, a, a a a potential sort of like a, avenue to create something exciting for AEW. Uh, I don't want to spend too much time on on worlds collide because uh, we we have we really run up the clock Fuck here. It. Yeah, now <laughs> let's talk about Dewdrop and Nikki A. Talk about the real wrestling show of the week <laughs> of today. I mean, yeah. Damn. Uh, well, let's uh, let, let's just quickly uh, go over the, the results here. Uh, Carmelo Hayes retained the uh, North American Championship, defeating Ricochet in uh, 15 minutes and 58 seconds. Um, I, I thought personally, guys, this and the main event were my my two like matches of the of the show. Um, oh yeah. It, if I had to designate one, I'd, I'd probably go with, with the main event. But this was a close number two. I, I thought these two guys worked really well together. Uh, Carmelo Carmelo Hayes is main roster ready now. Um, and I, I, I think him and Trick Williams, it's, it's a great duo that they have here. And this was, you know, Ricochet getting to do like it. I, I wouldn't say like his, uh, you know, P- PWG level style of match, but uh, certainly much beyond what we're used to seeing him do on, on the main roster. And it seemed like he was out there with without any handcuffs on and the audience really got into this opener. Yeah, they had a great they had some great chemistry going back and forth with like tons of kip ups and, and a whole lot of stuff. The we, double springboard collide. Yeah, was there was awesome. There was a lot of cool stuff in this match and uh Ricochet, like, hey, what else is he doing? Why not come down here and have a, a sweet little match with Carmelo? And I agree, John, like if you listen to us on Up Next every week chatting, like Carmelo Hayes is the guy there for me. I think he's one of the best talkers. If you saw NXT this week preparing for this match. When Ricochet like showed up and and and, it, and it went into the ring and got a microphone, Carmelo and Trick like instantly buried him. Like, oh no, he's got a mic, but does he know how to use it? And I was like, dude, you just murdered him before the match. But it was great. And Carmelo Hayes should lose this title because he should be uh, having matches on SmackDown or Raw because I, I think this guy can talk circles around most wrestlers right now. I love the whole jersey gimmick he's doing as well, the where dead, he's like hanging shirts. up the. The shirts yeah. of everyone he's beaten during this title yeah, reign. The, yeah, all the sh- the the deaded man's t-shirts, and then at the end, afterwards, the shirt drops down with Ricochet's name. I would say if you're someone who's kind of given up with 
NXT since the whole 2.0 takeover thing a year ago. Uh, th- this match was great. Like this was takeover level to me. Like you could have put it on one of those cards and and to check out Carmelo Hayes if you haven't seen him because uh, this was great and I definitely see the money being in uh, Hayes versus Braun kind of title for title down the line um, because these seem like the two biggest stars in yeah. 2.0 right now. I, I love this match. Uh, we went to the most haunted place uh, in Orlando, Florida, that being the parking lot uh, at the Performance Center where Roderick Strong was the latest victim. And he was unconscious. And they said that he's he was taken away in an ambulance. He's stable, uh, but unconscious. Uh, so this was uh, quite the attack, which I guess we're led to believe uh, who the, the perpetrator was. Uh, and that would reveal itself in the, uh, the tag title unification match with the Creeds, Josh Briggs and Brooks Jensen, Pretty Deadly, and Mark Coffey and Wolfgang. So we had eight people. All four teams had uh, someone in their corner as well. So we had a lot of bodies uh, out here. And it was also elimination style, which sometimes like it kind of forces them to have to do these like quick eliminations. So uh, the first one was uh, Mark Coffey pinning Jensen at the 444 mark. Then you had um, Brutus coming off the top of the cannonball and Julius pinning Wolfgang. So it's down to the creeds and pretty deadly. And it culminates with... Damon Kemp getting into the ring as there's a chair and he takes it, the chair away and he's behind Julius and he stabs him in the back. He, he was the Brutus to uh, Julius uh, yeah. and just uh, turns on him and it leads to uh, Elton Prince, who is all surprised. And uh, Kemp rolls the ref into the ring to count three. Uh, pretty deadly are the unified tag champions. And I guess we're led to believe that Damon Kemp took out Roderick Strong. Yeah, I mean, he uses Roddy's backbreaker as the move that he hits, so it's kind of weird that mm. you do that if you beat him up. But yeah, it's we're led to believe that it wasn't Roddy the whole time that was the the inside, like, breaking the diamond mine down. It was Kemp secretly, I guess. He's the real mole here because kind of a kind of a shocker. He's been very impressive uh, for people who may may not have, like, watched a lot of him lately, but, like, he's picked up this pretty good enemy with wrestling background being uh like he's Gable Stevenson's brother yeah right yes. yeah like the wrestling there is is really been great so uh the diamond mine storyline like continues now it always they always have something issues going on with them so, so I assume that's what was on Roddy's phone was proof that Damon Kemp was chatting to the D'Angelo family oh, right right oh, is he and Italian? then and then he was trying again today to show him and got beaten up Wow, that 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 could have been it. Yeah, I, I I thought the tag match was fun. I I love the Creed brothers. I think they're just fantastic, and I've been enjoying this Diamond Mine story. Um, pretty deadly in ring. Don't really do it for me. Yes, boy. Um, but I do enjoy the characters, so I kind of understand putting the title back on them, um, and to somewhat give NXT UK a a win here as well, even though they've been NXT proper for a a few months now. But. Uh, I feel as just a single, like a one-on-one tag match would have been better. I don't think you really needed uh, like Briggs and Jensen there, even though they were the champs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, like just uh, Creed's versus Pretty Deadly probably would have made more sense. I love, we love the Brutus bomb where he does like a cannonball. He usually does it to the outside, but this time Julius had someone up on his shoulders. So it was like a Brutus cannonball doomsday device, which was pretty sweet. Brutes they stay device or Brutes, something. Yeah. Brutes, yeah. So there's a joke somewhere there, but yeah, it, it, it was pretty sweet. Uh, I, I'm kind of like the story of diamond mine. Now, I guess being in the chase, I guess would be the next thing they got to win the titles back, but uh, they've been super impressive. 
Women's match, uh, Mandy Rose, uh, maybe surprising to some, uh, unifying the women's and UK women's championship. 13 minutes and 18 seconds with Mako Sotomora and Blair Davenport. Uh, I thought Sotomora and Davenport were the, the strength of this match. Um, Mandy Rose didn't like drag it down, but I don't think she added anything either. It ended with uh, Sotomora breaking up a cover with the Scorpio rising uh, after having Davenport beat. Uh, and then Rose uh, comes in with the kiss by the Rose onto Sotomora and with Davenport out from the Scorpio rising it's rose that steals the pin and retains the title so they obviously want to stick with mandy rose in this lengthy uh, title reign as well and they have announced that mako satamora will be on nxt this tuesday to take on roxanne perez so she will be at least around uh this week but i i thought in particular the points where satamora and davenport were, were the focus i i thought were it, it was it was good yeah, I mean, we've been wanting to see Satamura come over to NXT for a while. I know there was talks like, oh, do the Sasha match a while back. But we got Mandy Rose instead. So, yeah, uh, Blair was clearly added in here to not let Miko like, get pinned by Mandy, obviously. But I'd say the highlights were definitely when those two tangled up. And uh, Satamura's finisher is nuts. That like spinning kick to the head thing looks awesome. I thought I thought this over delivered for me actually. Um, obviously, Sadamora is fantastic, but I thought uh, Davenport looked really good here as well. And um, yeah, Mandy definitely the the weaker link, but somewhat held her own. I thought there was some cool near falls towards the end, and that step up like step up axe kick yeah, to that's break what up it the is. pin that's from yeah. looked awesome. Um, I would hope maybe this is them like Sadamora moving up soon, but we do need someone to take this title off Mandy at some point. Yeah, now it's we're been still, a bit too long. Yeah, we're kind of the the women's division now has just been Mandy for a long, long time. So this kind of continues. I believe Roxanne, I guess, will be the one to eventually take it from her, but not anytime soon. But yeah, let the dream matches kind of go in with Mako. Like, let her kind of wrestle a lot of other people. I think we would get some some pretty impressive stuff, especially while she's she's here on this run. But rest in peace, the women's UK title. Mm. That's right. Uh, pour one out, uh, Wesley. Issued a challenge to J.D. McDonough for Tuesday. And then Katana Chance and Caden Carter retaining the women's tag titles against Nikki Ash and Dewdrop. Um, that ended when um, Toxic Attraction's theme played and J.C. Jane and Gigi Dolan come down. Nikki goes after them. And then Carter and Chance capitalize, hitting their finisher to Dewdrop as Nikki is dealing with the, uh, the, the Toxic Attraction run-in. And she's too late to make the save. So I imagine that they're going to uh, ramp up the issues between Nikki and Dewdrop in this finish is you know dewdrop being left on her own here by by nikki 10 minutes 20 seconds i didn't think there was anything special about this one and it was more so that you know your distraction ending but um yeah continuing nikki and dewdrop on the main roster probably breaking up hopefully getting rebrands and chance and carter keep the tag titles uh i mean if you if you follow uh chance and carter uh there was uh, casey and carter caden and casey was so much easier mm-hmm. but uh if you followed them, their gimmick is they like to rave and just have fun and go out. So you had Caden uh, like twerking, and then when she got beat up, then Dewdrop showed her in fact how to twerk, uh, which was a, a <laughs> highlight of this match. Uh, I didn't get too into this, but I kind of figured that Dewdrop and Nikki were brought in to uh, just help get like their name uh, that are on the main roster. So why it would help get over? Uh... I didn't quite understand the toxic attraction running for Nikki and Dewdrop and I watch this show every week. I didn't yeah. really get that. And uh, like th- this was just flat for me, definitely the weakest match on the show. And 
And also the, the crowd, the crowd needed to bring that energy that they had when Doudrop and Nikki came on Wednesday because they reacted like The Rock had returned to WWE <laughs> on Wednesday. And this week they were just like, oh yeah, it is just Doudrop and Nikki. Okay. We didn't even get Nikki in her old NXT uh, gear, like no. the, the psycho Nikki. Yeah, th- this was dull for me. Yeah. Well, we had the dyad, everyone's favorite, and they met Grayson Waller, who commented on Rip Fowler's eye. And then Mackenzie Mitchell asked uh, Grayson about gouging Apollo Cruz's eye on Tuesday, and he got this this very somber speech about how his mother was disappointed in him, and he's sounding all depressed, and that his mother thinks they brought down the Waller family name before he tells his mother to kiss my ass. I don't need the family. I'm I'm bringing the family name up. I think this guy's great. I just think he's a tr- tremendous tremendous personality. Yeah, what's with people calling out moms today? Like Waller right. and Punk and people calling out moms. Yeah. yeah, damn. Not not a good day for moms. I I'm not I'm not too big on this guy. I know someone recently uh, Apollo Crews in a promo like called him a bootleg Miz, and it's, he's he's kind of that to me. However, he looks the part. He's he dresses really flashy, um, but uh, yeah, just just NXT also has some weird stuff. Like you you glazed over the the. the I, I'm diet. not glazing over anything, Braden. We're, we're we're up against the the time here, so let's not break down Grayson Waller. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Braun Breaker and Tyler Bate for the NXT and NXT UK Championship. Um, I, I thought this match was great. They went 17 minutes and 11 seconds. Um, audience was it was chanting along. Uh, Tyler two belts uh, at one point, and they were just uh, comparing the two. And that the fact both lost their titles, but then won them back. And they also had a nice entrance for Tyler Bate in the back, walking through and on the video wall. Um, all the NXT UK champions that are bookended by Tyler Bate. And uh, this was our swan song to the NXT UK uh, title. Uh, we saw a Breaker with a Frankensteiner early on. Uh, a few kind of Steiner-inspired moves, including a Steinerizer at one point. Uh, Bate bridged out from underneath into the Tyler Driver 97 for a big near fall. And then Breaker hit his military press power slam, but Bate got the foot on the rope. And it ends... Uh, Bate had landed on the shoulders and kind of stumbles his way into a victory roll and then bounces off the top rope using his shoulders and gets met with a spear and breaker pins him in 17 minutes and 11 seconds. Um, I'm, I'm continually impressed with, with Braun Breaker in these, these big like main event situations. And for Tyler Bate, um, it's, it's certainly a better spotlight for him than NXT UK being on, on this brand for the time being, which I think you could assume he, he sticks around it. Yeah, really solid match between these two. And considering Bron Breaker's first match was a year ago, like a year ago this month, it's it's crazy to see what he's capable of. And I, the dynamic of Bates being up against bigger opponents always works because it allows him to show off that crazy strength he has, lifting Bron up, doing the the like aeroplane spin, all of that. Um, yeah, I thought this this like deserved the main event slot. Definitely delivered for me. Uh, be interesting to see where Bates goes next because i really feel he's just been on ice for quite a while after having that really hot sort of uk tournament and the match in chicago with pete dunn it's and then the the great tag matches with the ue um it, it's time to kind of have this guy back in the fold I, it would be great to see him me- mess around with a lot of other names even on the main roster just like the wrestling it, it's been a while since i've watched him wrestle and it was it was good, but I do think Braun is is definitely impressing. Like this was one of his better matches. This was I think this was my match of the night on this show, uh, and I thought that 
like you could put him on SmackDown or Raw really, really soon. Mm-hmm. You said he's been wrestling for a year. That's pretty in- incredible. But uh, Tyler Bates staying on NXT for a while would also be pretty sweet. But uh, it was an all right show, like probably one of the better ones. Like you said, the two, this, the sandwich matches, the opening, and this really delivered and everything in between really wasn't like bad or anything. So I, I really enjoyed it. And like maybe it was like two and a half hours long in total. So it breezed really by. It did the old takeover five match card thing so the, the yeah. length the length was good and I'd, I'd recommend those two matches i would say if you're, if you're going to check out anything those would be the the two to uh check out as well so there you have it uh, kind of the the elimination of the nxt uk titles and then yeah. uh, we'll see whatever happens with nxt europe and if they're going to need titles so pour one out there you have it uh hansi has been waiting patiently on the line so uh hansi we're going to go to you and then we'll do a couple pieces of feedback uh before we get on out of here so hansi the floor is yours uh <laughs> let's, let, let's be concise i don't know i i will i for sure uh happy birthday to david portman by the way um my top matches were probably the kingston ishii the trios match the tag title match the women's match and then the main event and that uh, i liked all the character work that they're doing in certain matches like in the trios match, they had Hangman and Dark Order playing the heels on some level, and then you had Omega and the Bucks playing heels. I thought that was a cool dynamic of them switching back and forth. And I agree. I think Swerve and Keith Lee um, uh, got a really good heel reaction. I think they were so used to booing him that uh, booing them that they didn't even want them to like be good guys again. That's how good it was. And I gotta say, like. I, I I wrote in the super chat way that the MJF thing with the ladder match, and then Paul, like, you like you you made a good point. Like uh, if you're gonna have MJF return, have it in a shoot way. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? That that is kind of stupid. Why do you put MJF in a ladder match? And I honestly, I think they should have done it in a shoot way. I think the ladder match was a waste of time, in my personal opinion. I've seen enough of them. There's never really any new innovating spots that I really you know get get, get a rise out of me. So I thought you could have done it another way. And um, I'll I'll leave with this. I thought the main event was really good. But um, I'll ask you guys this before I leave. Um, do you guys think that like now MGF is going to be associated with Stokely and all these guys, or do you think that like it was just a one a one night payoff type of deal? Because I I, re- I really I really had this theory that like the pinnacle is actually FDR has really been working undercover, and this has all been a plan to fuck up Punk. I don't know if they'll go that route, but if they're going with Stokely and these guys, like I, you know, I, I just I'm not really into the stable right now. I don't know anything about it, but it just seemed like they're doing a diamond mind of their own. And uh, I'll leave you guys with that. And and uh, amazing review, by the way. Um, and I apologize. And I'll let you guys get on your night. Peace out. No, thanks a lot, Hansi. I appreciate Shout it. Shout out, no. Hansi. Uh, no, I, I think that's the group that MJF is, is attached to. And, you, you know, you try to accomplish several goals here. It's like it's MJF coming back with a big angle with Punk, but also get some of these guys, um, you know, screen time. Like you've isolated some of your, um, you know, uh, other talent to hopefully attach at the hip of MJF. And and quite honestly, hopefully it goes a bit better than the pinnacle, which I think was sort of like all over the place. And you, it was like it was a group one week and then you forgot about them. And I don't know if it really I, I don't think it reached its potential. And it had a lot of it when they introduced the group. So there you have it. Yeah. Way we can't hear you. <laughs> Sorry about that, guys. Uh, a, lot, a lot going on behind the scenes. Uh, I just wanted to go to one super chat here. This comes to us from Jared Black, who sends two ninety nine Australian dollars just to say, "Scissor me, Daddy Ting." Yes. Hey. Yes. And there you go. There you go. I uh, also want to give a few shout outs to again. We are now uh, hosting 
the Post Wrestling Cafe YouTube version that's live right now. So I want to give a shout out to Matthew RVC, who is our latest member. Also, Hannes Hedloff, Ben Moxham, Hernes de la Cruz, Matt Reichiel, Devin Clark, Nate Milton, Dickie Bird, and Armaniel Flanagan. Thank you for being the very first members of the YouTube version of the Post Wrestling Cafe. All right. We have a few pieces of feedback uh, that we will go through here before we uh, call it a night uh, over at forum.postwrestling.com. Mark writes in, opening angle and show closing angle were perfect bookends to the show, made the show feel much more memorable than without it. A great main event really saved what felt like a very middle-of-the-road show. Punk and Moxley had the crowd for the entire time. Other than that, I'm a big AEW apologist, but this match just had way too much stuff. This card had too much stuffed onto the card. One trios match too many. I'm looking at you. Jay Lethal, but love the acclaimed Swerve Lee match. Never been too high on the acclaim, but they won me over tonight. Uh, if you, Braden and Davey, if you guys could see this, why don't we each just read one piece of feedback? All right, how about that? Uh, we got a Brandon from Oshawa up next who says, I saw so many people after the tag title match say that Tony should have called an audible and put the titles on the acclaimed. The following AEW women's title match was the perfect reason why you shouldn't make an audible like that because Jamie Hader was getting a similar reaction. You can never predict how over somebody will be on any given night. Now that we saw what kind of reactions the acclaimed and Jamie can get, I hope they build to those eventual title wins. Yeah, I wouldn't put those in the same category tonight. I mean, they were into Jamie Hayter. It was, uh, I, and I wasn't even one that like I, I feel that you had to like change something on the on the spot. But um, you know, the, the acclaimed to me were at a, a different level than almost anyone on the show. Not not everybody, but close to it. Yeah. Uh, we go to her niece from New York City. As with every AEW pay-per-view, too long, but man, the ending was perfect. Uh, Shivani had a rough start on commentary, calling Taz Excalibur at least four times. No DQ when they pulled Athena out of the ring. And now 37-0. and 0. How long do you go? Is there anyone that comes to mind that would make sense to beat Jade? We kind of talked about that. Uh, JR adding 60 pounds to Keith Lee, 400 pounds. That tag match had the acclaim so damned hot that I was hoping an audible was called for <laughs> which, uh, switching the titles. Uh, lastly, Ruby took a beating today, dumped on her head, then the ending with the broken nose. Hope she recovers quickly. Yeah, it was a rough night for Ruby Soho, unfortunately. Uh, we go to Manny from Pacoma. Says, after seeing the full card for All Out, the interim four-way t- world title match was the only thing I was looking forward to. Wasn't a fan of this show. The tag titles, trio match, and four-way were the only matches I liked on the card, with the tag match being the match of the night. I was really rooting for Jamie to win, but Tony makes a great champion. The mystery surrounding the devil kept me around, and I'm glad to see MJF is back. Are we getting the title match at Grand Slam? I think that might be it. I mean, if, I mean, I, that's- if Osprey Kenny is not the big match now there, I think that would be a pretty big one. And it's more hometown territory for, for MJF, MJF Yeah, definitely. Be pretty sweet. I wonder. Yeah, um, it's one that I wonder if it has enough legs to like drag over to the next pay per view. Um, Which is also in his it's New Jersey, so I mean it's still yeah. MJF territory, mm-hmm. Long Island. Yeah. Uh, two more pieces. Uh, uh, two more super chats here. Last minute from Brandon from New Jersey, who sends two dollars to say there's only one Elliot, and hockey season is near. Yeah. Okay. That being uh, Elliot Friedman. That's right. The Friedge. And then lastly, John Cino, $2, who says, thanks for all your dedication and hard work. Well, thank you, Cino. No, he said work, not hard work. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Just work. Yes. Easy work. Let's clarify. 
All right. Uh, thanks to everybody uh, for, for tuning in live and to Braden and Davey uh, for, for joining us. And guys, I know people after, after two hours, 11 minutes and 56 seconds are thinking, man, where can I hear more of these guys? Well, guys, where can they go? Uh, well, I mean, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at, sorry, not Instagram, but at Up Next Podcast. We do uh, a live NXT and AEW show every Tuesday and Wednesday night. Just search for Up Next wherever you find your podcasts. Yeah. We also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash up next. For five bucks, you get access to like almost 500 podcasts in our catalog. For Danielson and Jericho this for this show, we looked back on an episode of Was Next where we looked back at the first ever episode of NXT, which features the first time those two ever wrestled, which was pretty sweet. So that was an episode we did. We do lots of retro pay-per-view reviews, WWF, WCW, ECW, and we do movie reviews as well. So we have a ton of fun. And uh, John and Wei have both shown up on many of shows. So, uh, yeah, go check us out. It's only five bucks. and You get so many podcasts, and we love to podcast. And we love to podcast with the true pillars of post-wrestling, these two legendary guys. Congrats to you, Wei Ting. We love you, and it was so much fun to chat with both of you uh, about a really long day of wrestling. <laughs> Holy cow. I'm wrestled out, uh, but I think we're all going to go listen to Punk. All right. Way and I are going to be back on Monday night with Rewind a Raw. We'll have the whole schedule up uh, tomorrow on the site, but we will also be returning with Rewind Away on Tuesday as we are going to go back and chat Royal Rumble Raw from February of 1997 at the Sky Dome where 25,000 people came to see the no-holds-barred epic with Farouk and Mankind (laughs) teaming up together against uh, the two guys that they faced. (laughs) I can't even remember. Uh, But we're going to be chatting about that on on Tuesday, so look out for that. Royal Rumble Raw. It's only a two-hour show. I don't know what we're going to talk about. Jeez. I will say – oh, sorry. No, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to say also, I mean, you, we have we have an AEW show that you guys are going to be going to and we're going to be going to as well That's right. in, in Buffalo this week. So That's uh, right. We're, we're all going to Buffalo, not together, but we are all going to be at the Dynamite in Buffalo. So, uh, yes, we will be uh, on our respective feeds chatting about uh, that show as well. So we will look out for you guys in, in, in Buffalo. We'll be second row, so we're trying to figure out some signs to get on uh, Botchamania. So give me your hot video game takes that I need to put on a sign. But we're super excited. And then for Toronto, if anyone in our area in, in is going to AEW and they come to Toronto at the Coca-Cola uh, Coliseum, we have some, some fun parties planned, including a dynamite after party at Sneaky D's in toronto on the wednesday night so if anyone out there is looking and it'll be free you just got to come hang out and have some drinks and sneaks get some nachos and stuff but yeah uh we're looking for some to having some fun with AEW shows coming to our neck of the woods all right that's going to wrap it up thanks to everybody for uh for joining us for this uh review of all out and worlds collide and that is going to wrap it up good night